History is made by the Republic of Ireland. I'm honestly speechless. I mean, we're going to a World Cup, but it's what dreams are made of. For all the best reaction to the girls in green qualifying for the World Cup, subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast stream now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. A uh, somewhat incredible night in the Champions League, particularly for Mo Salah, who had a hat-trick off the bench for Liverpool last night. And maybe he's back and all is right in the world and there's no better place than Ibrox to go if you want to get right. They won 7-1 after um, a fairly mundane first half in that game. Napoli continue to be the best team in world football at the moment, uh, beating Ajax 4-2 last night. Uh, Madrid and Brugge drew nil all. Leverkusen were beaten 3-0 at home by Porto in that group. Barcelona and Inter played out a very controversial but brilliant three-all draw. <clears throat> that was a count now. And uh, Bayern Munich are on the verge of um, winning that group uh, with a 4-2 win uh, in that game. Am I right about that? I am, yeah. Bayern, Bayern Munich have essentially won that pretty much at this stage. Now, it is 7.31. I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us straight off the bat this morning. Graham, good morning to you. How are you? Double G, grand. We are looking forward to the first Classico of the season at the weekend. And... Um, it's hard to know what the truth is about these two teams at the moment. Is it fair to say there's still a little bit of diesel in the tank for both of them? Yeah, no, I think it's hard to, to know the truth at all. I, I mean, I like your uh, I like your allusion to the fact that neither of them look or feel exactly like we've become accustomed to over the last 20 years, if that's what you're getting at. Madrid, it's very easy to categorise, Ger. They're not hugely different from the nits that they were in at this stage last year. There are one or two new participants, if you want to look at it that way, and that Camavinga is getting a little bit more game time. And Chalmany, if if listeners to our viewers to off the ball at breakfast time haven't really seen Chalmany playing for Deschamps France or um, anchoring the midfield for Monaco, uh, prior to that, Bordeaux, he's strolled into this team in many aspects. In the centre of midfield, playing what Casemiro used to and there are things that he does that make you think this this guy is going to be dominant and special and inspirational in central midfield. But there are very clear-cut things that he can't do yet that Casemiro did. And that comes with experience. The kid's 22, which now, because we've got Tyros everywhere playing at 16, 17 and 18, 22 seems geriatric, obviously. But from my school of things, when you're 22 and you're going to the most... Um, high-pressured team in the world and you can throw other names but they won't they'll bounce off me it's Madrid um, and you play like him then it's extremely promising it doesn't mean that there aren't flaws and that means that when you get Tony Cross and, and Luka Modric rested and when you get Benzema out for nearly a month he's played two matches in five weeks then you begin to see and Courtois the best keeper in the world again you know you can throw candidates at me but over the last 20 months or so, Kuta has been the best keeper in the world. There's been little glitches, and Madrid are a team that saved their energy for the really big shows. Uh, we saw that last year against Chelsea and Manchester City, and Paris Saint-Germain in particularly the Champions League, not so much La Liga. So I think categorising Madrid is, is not difficult at all. One of the new faces, Rudiger. Again, if you didn't see the way in which he equalised in the 95th minute, putting everything, life and limb, um, on the line to, to head home and losing half his face, being stitched up, emergency stitched up in the dressing room and flying home with half of his face covered in bandages. I think that was a pretty iconic image of what it means for a newcomer 
to arrive at Madrid and say, I want my place, and I want my place particularly for the Glasgow. And luckily, the, the sacrifice he made, Jared, probably means that Rudiger doesn't play the Glasgow this weekend. That was one hell of a knock. Um, that's interesting. So what we're saying really is that if we didn't know about Real Madrid's ability to uh, pace themselves properly, you might be a little bit concerned about some bits and pieces here. But because we've seen this movie, they're actually, it sounds like, in a great place at the moment. As long as they keep doing what they've always done, which is like uh, Pavlovian. The bell rings and they're hungry. Uh, a big team comes or they're facing a big time home, a team home or away. And Modric will just be magical again at 37. Or Benzema will do something extraordinary about the turn 35 in December. So it's all right to question them. It's all right to say, how long can you keep fighting like Jake LaMotta or Rocky Marciano? Because that's kind of what they do. They're like, oh, look, they're off the ropes. There's one, two, bang, down again. Eventually in all sports, when you play like that, it catches up with you because hunger changes or personnel lose sharpness or, or age rusts you. I don't think it's yet for Real Madrid, not at all. And one of the things that might make you scratch your chin if you've either got, you know, your pocket money riding on Real Madrid or if you're, if you're a real Madridista and you want to lord it over the Catalans when they come to a beautiful Santiago Bernabeu, which isn't finished yet and they, they've messed up a little bit on the pitch and the roof isn't fully installed yet, but you want to see what it's like, Jared. It's utterly... Um, listen, if anybody's got... A couple of quid to spend over the winter. Get yourself some tickets for the Bernabeu. Get to see Real Madrid. Look at the stadium. It's utterly mental. Um, the, the, the worrying things will be, will Courtois be fit? He's had a back problem, sciatica. Benzema has been back, but not uh, ultra sharp. And Ancelotti himself, you don't need me. I'm just relaying what Ancelotti says, really. that They lack defensive intensity across the pitch. So there's the real possibility that we get another goal fest. Only five out of the last ten um, Clasicos both teams have scored. Um, I'm counting Liga Clasicos. In the last two Clasicos, Madrid and Clasicos, Madrid haven't scored at all. Barca have won them both. Once 4-0 at the Bernabeu back in spring. Once in Las Vegas. Clasico in Las Vegas. Rafinha's goal. Hello, Leeds fans won that one. So Madrid are in a position whereby they should start as favourites, but it's the Clasico and you never damn well know. Anything can happen. And Graham, you, you kind of... Uh... You hinted at it in your in your piece on ESPN this week, and you're kind of contrasting the fortunes of Vinicius and uh, Dembele. And look, Dembele scored a goal last night, but uh, overall, I guess his his form has been fairly inconsistent. Like, what, what do you put that down to? Because it's it's quite an interesting strand. What's happened since that four 0 game you mentioned back in March, uh, and now? Yeah, look, uh, um, he, he scored last night, but he, he also messed up repeatedly. He did that thing about, you know, he's got the. Um, he's got the technical and athletic talent of a genius and he's got the brain of a guy who likes to play with Lego. Uh, and that's a horrible thing to watch in any athlete, male or female, in any sport. You're like, go on, do it, do it. Oh. And albeit that he was offside late on, there was a wonderful move where Boston are ripped into, into the game as Seesaw. It's a, it's a really beautiful game. It's the reason the Champions League exists. It was magnificent to be there last night and, and Inter were shrewd and clever. But then Mele bursts through, it's on a break. And Ansu Fati is to his right. Then Mele just holds so that two men come to him. Ansu's on his own. And then Mele still tries to beat the two men and shoots it in the side of the net rather than squaring to Ansu. And in the end, the, the pass that sets him free by Lewandowski is utter black magic. It's unbelievable how we conjured that up from such a distance. Dembele is offside by half a metre. 
it's a cush- it's a cool decision, kosher decision. But there you saw the brain. The brain was got just it, not all the wires go together. But I think you can, like Chavi, for example, was asked in the press conference last night after the match. Don't you think Dembele has got to score more? Make totally agree. I totally agree. Now Chavi has been the one that's fought to keep him at the club when no team in world football really wanted Dembele when he was in a free this summer. Chavi still persuaded the board to treat him as if he was a special footballer because hidden in there somewhere there is a special footballer. But all the wires don't. And Vinicius is different when he arrived at Madrid. The contrast I was trying to make is that when he arrived at Madrid, people. I think rashly, and I sh- I shouted and screamed, as you both know I want to do, pretty much from the start that they were judging him badly, that he needed a bit of patience, and now, lo and behold, he's a potential Ballon d'Or winner. He's extremely good. It's not just talented. He looked raw. He looked like a ball juggler. People said show pony. He learned. He listened. You know, instead of a video, I, I said in the piece that you're talking about, I said, Chavi could well do with giving a DVD of Vinicius to Dembele. It's giving a DVD of the process, I should have said, because they've, they've, they've given him tuition. Big players have taken him aside because in, in good training grounds, it isn't just what the coach and his assistants do. So Modric and Benzema, particularly Casemiro to some extent, have given Vinicius tuition over the months and he's soaked it all up. He still does things that are a little bit irritating. Now he's trying to play referees and play the crowd when he's got such an array of talents. Those things aren't necessary. But the change in him, the way in which he's gone, I hear you, I'll do that. Oh, look, everything's better. Contrasts really brutally and starkly with Usman Dembele. But, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't score. I don't know why I didn't pass. Don't expect me to learn. It's, it's pretty sad to watch that. But football and, and Dembele being what they are, he just needs a little click. Uh, and on Sunday, he could run the whole game. You maybe wouldn't give him a, a, a cassette tape or a DVD of the, the last couple of classicals. Like, as you mentioned, Real have failed to score in the last 180 minutes. Uh, and yeah. you referenced in the piece, though, like Vinicius, uh, Xavi has, has almost always, in the last couple of games, deployed Araujo as, as someone to essentially man-mark him. He won't be around for, for Sunday. So maybe that, that spells a bit of danger for Barca and Vinicius could have a field day. Well, look, for, for my taste of enemies thinking about should I tune in on Sunday afternoon, do... Because there's talent all over the pitch. They really don't like each other, the two teams. And it's extremely rare. One of the things that elevates this as a fixture, again, in any sport, but certainly in football, is that it's extremely rare that you don't get a high-tension, very exciting, high-quality game, often controversial. Not all football matches are guaranteed to give you that. This one doesn't. One of the reasons is exactly what you said. Araujo moved from centre-half to right-back. It's been a really good battle. is isn't that he's had Vinicius in his pocket. It's that he's dulled the impact that Vinicius can have. And as Barcelona got on top in the first class, in the second class goal of the season um, at Bernabeu last season, they won 4-0. You could see Vinicius's gas going down. In the class goal in Las Vegas, again, it was very successful by, by Araujo, but he was fitter than Vinicius because Real Madrid had done less training and hadn't played any friendlies. 4-0 at the Bernabeu, 1-0 in Vegas. And it was a battle on its own. It was a battle where you could tune in going like, I'm interested in the result. I'm interested to see how Benzema copes. This is Lewandowski's first proper classical. Um, but Vinicius against Araujo is a one-on-one battle for the ages. And because they're both young, we've got this for seasons to come. And it's one of these narratives that develops into a Gulf Stream that, that fills and heats the whole ocean. So it's a shame for the neutrals that we won't see that battle. But the risk factor is 
Jules Koundé um, wasn't supposed to be fit for this. He's made accelerated progress in training. Xavi said, I'm optimistic. There's a right good chance that Jules Koundé, just back from injury, gets thrown on against Vinicius, who'll try to twist him this way and that, and sprint him. Now, that will be a battle. And like you said, it's the right word. That will be a risk. And if it's not Koundé, Vinicius will be rubbing his hands in glee and going, I can have all of those other guys on toast. Barcelona. Barcelona's defensive record in La Liga so far this season is <clears throat> incredible. One goal conceded in, in eight games. Uh, they have conceded loads of goals in the Champions League. So are they defending really well? Is there uh, is there a mixture here? Is something is the, is the truth more the Champions League than the La Liga form? Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a hybrid in that they were defending slightly better when they had Arojo and Koundé in their team because they're both absolutely excellent, young, vibrant, quick, intelligent. Adapting to one another, adapting to being changed between right centre-back and a defensive three and a defensive four or at right-back. Those provisos, but with them in the team, Barcelona were defending a little bit better. Overall, they're very open. Um, they don't hold possession anymore. I asked Xavi last night, you, you, two of the, the main pieces of your armoury over the last 20 years have been long periods of possession they were nearly 50-50 with Inter last night. They regularly now lose possession battles against teams. So if you don't hold the ball, the, the ball comes at you more. That exacerbates defensive flaws. And the other thing is this automatismos where they played really quick passes intelligently. Bang, 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 three, four passes, and the opponents are lost. Now when you don't do that, again, the ball comes at you all the time. Javi is rotating footballers. He's had injuries to deal with. And he's been unsure which is his best system. So, frankly, no, they're not defending well. Not at all. There are several La Liga games where they could have conceded three or four. In each, in most of those, they would have still, had they converted their chances in this hypothetical world, you build what if, they'd have scored more. But no, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in the La Liga has saved 19 of the 20 efforts on goal against him. And it's been that that saved Barcelona from a very embarrassing start to the season. So, no, they're not defending well. And yes, by and large, the Champions League is the right thermometer of uh, Barcelona's security at the back. Is there concern amongst the Barcelona fans, <clears throat> pardon me, that, that Xavi doesn't know his best system just yet? Or is that actually, is that just part of the evolution? And that's how football is going. <clears throat> you can't just have one system where you're like, OK, I'm going to be in the style of Pep and m- my philosophy is going to sweep all before us that actually there's a bit of doubt in Xavi's mind is that a positive or is it a bit of a negative that he still hasn't got to that point where he fully understands this is who the identity of this team and everybody who plays in it is going to be I think I think Jerry if there isn't concern there should be because in spring when he took over last November so we're approaching the one year anniversary he took over a, a side which and then off the record briefing he told about nine or ten of us that it was a desert as far as the ideas he'd grown up with, that everything had regressed, that timekeeping was poor, training was slack, and therefore, you know, the, the job he had to do was far bigger than he imagined. And, and if you look back or think back to the football that the team played once they got his ideas from January to about April when they ran out of steam athletically, it was stunning. They, they whipped Atletico by four, they whipped Athletic by four, they whipped Napoli by four, they whipped Madrid by four, and generally, they were very quick, very exciting. The system flourished. This season, they 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 don't do the things that were iconic in the teams that Xavi grew up in. They don't do the things that were important in those months when Xavi's first 
half season looked as if it was going to flourish and promised so much for this. Is that to do with injuries? Is it to do with new players? I'm not sure. But they don't resemble a Barcelona side and haven't done for three or four games. And even when they've been winning, you're like, that's a really strange way for a Barcelona team to play, particularly one under Xavi. It's new. There are two very young players that are key, a 17-year-old and a 19-year-old in Gavi and Pedri. They're exceptional, but there's still an awful lot of learning. They're both tremendously slight and small. Therefore, Barcelona do get bullied an awful lot. Barcelona athletically aren't as strong as some teams that, that put a heavy premium on can we out-jump you, can we outrun you? And at the moment, given that Barcelona don't have a prime PK and a prime Messi or a prime Eto or a prime Iniesta or a prime Busquets, that Barcelona, even at the very best, they always found that a test. You know, we can jump higher than you, we can knock you over, we can outrun you. Xavi is prime, said, if we go 1-0 down a team like that, at his playing prime, I mean, he said, we get nervous. So right now, they're not in that neck. They don't have such good footballers. So it might be that this is very fledgling. It might be that they're in a Bambi state rather than outright getting it wrong. Might be. But it's it's a very odd situation right now. And and the fact that they're leaders going into this Glasgow and that all the dialogue last night was about, we'll go leaders, we want to come away from the Bernabeu's leaders. Yeah, fine. But there are, there are deeper-rooted problems to do with this stage of the evolution of the team under Xavi. It's funny because like this week you could look at the European results and go, <clears throat> oh, this is all set up on a bit of a knife edge. They're two teams at similar stages of development. But from what you're saying, Real Madrid are going to be very confident and comfortable with their scenario. Whereas there's, you know, the usual self-doubt from a team that hasn't been at that champion level just recently uh, in Barcelona. Oh, but the, oh, the contrast is stark, Jared. It's set up nicely, but for... If, if you'll pardon me, a different reason. You know, Carlo Ancelotti's about to overtake Alex Ferguson's record as the, the man with the most match wins in the Champions League. And, you know, he's he's lifted the Champions League as a, as a trophy, as a coach in different clubs. Um, he's on the point of retiring and, and Xavi's in his first full season at a senior club as a coach. Sorry, Qatar, but and Al-Sad, but, you know, that's a fact. And... Barcelona, in terms of personality, are still worrying about what happens when Busquets isn't so relevant. Where are we post-Messi? Why, why haven't we got a player who can put a sticking back plaster on all the, on, on all the problems? They're still in a club, not just in search of money to solve the debt problem, but they're still a club in search of an identity. And, and Xavi is very new in his project. So I think that they're fundamentally different from Real Madrid, where... They've kept Cross and they've kept Modric and Militao now looks like a veteran and Alaba's brought experience last season, Rudiger this season, Benzema and Vinicius as a partnership. As a partnership, produced 111 goals and assists last season alone. 111 between the two of them. It's not bad. And they didn't even used to speak. And this season, Dembele's given um, Lewandowski one goal assist and hasn't scored himself domestically and until last night hadn't scored at all. The contrasts are gigantic, Ger, but you've spent your life on off the ball talking about this football and the Glasgow means that no matter how you go into this, any kind of result could be spewed out. I'm looking forward to that one now on, on Sunday afternoon. You've, you've whetted the appetite, Graham. Um, did want to ask you about um, Iker Casillas and Carlos Puyol. Um, 
fairly damaging tweet from from Iker Casillas and uh, look he's, he's come out and said that, that his account was hacked which is unfortunate for him uh, I don't know what Carlos Puyol's excuse is but uh, damaging to the LGBT community for sure um, just interested to see what the, the reaction has been over in Spain to, to this news Graham um, Can I put myself on the firing line which is a stupid thing to do because uh, it's not what you asked me over here there was initial coverage in that news flurry way. But it's it's caused me to stop and think a little bit because initially when it came out, I saw what Ike Casillas was doing. I don't think he was hacked, in my opinion. And given my age and my background, I thought, okay, there's a little joke at the expense of the tabloids and the photographers and the rubbish that's spoken about Ike Casillas. There's a little joke that hasn't done damage um, to the to the gay community, to the LGBTQ community, because when I was growing up, and in and in and in my professional working lifetime, it was unthinkable that a massive male superstar could use the word gay about himself. I thought initially, well, it, it's maladroit, but this doesn't do any harm. And that shows the bubble I live in and the age I'm at and, and how I needed to stop and think and react. And Spanish media, just again, to answer your question, I haven't really done that at all. But to have... Um, I, I felt that Puyol and Casillas were joking about that in, in a non-ultra macho masculine way, which is what I grew up about, where if you use those terms, they were pejorative, they were derogatory. And I didn't think that either of them did so. Now... If once you're educated, which you won't be by the Spanish media in, in large terms, there are individual pockets of modern common sense. I forgot about the fact that in my where I work, where I meet many uh, men and women who are gay, and it, it's just a simple fact of life, and nobody would be prejudiced against them, or nobody would react badly against them. Everybody would, or the majority of people I work with, or know would encourage them to come out and we'd all treat them exactly like anybody else. I forgot about scared people. I forgot about young people who might think that that was a put down. And I think that was the tone of your question. So I, I found it, you know, salutary. Um, I still think that some of the vehemence about the subject, um, what should have been about the vehemence of some of the bigots reactions um and and again in my opinion if if the lawyers are worried i wish that Iker Casillas had had taken better advice and said alice now i'm sorry and did what puyol did and said that was maladroit i apologize now Iker did say you know i've been hacked but all the same apologies to the lgbtq community however i've i've found it salutary and found it interesting that um i i it it, it was a lesson learned for me um, not to forget that, that there are still people within society or sport who might be scared to be ridiculed, scared to come out, and, and they shouldn't be. And I'd assumed that we'd begun to move in, in our world, in, our, in the, this bubble of the world that, that you two and I and the listeners exist in. And I, I genuinely thought things had, had changed and improved, whereby you, you could experiment with humour like that because it wasn't pejorative. And it seems that 
that I was wrong on that and Casillas was wrong on that. But there was a stage when I was growing up or, or beginning as a journalist where phrases like that would have been taken as, well, this is bringing the subject out into the open. And this is, you can tell from their tone that it's not meant to be aggressive or a put down. And therefore, if that phrase becomes mainstream, then it's it's opening things up. And, and that's not the way that the majority of people who campaign on behalf of that community saw this. So it's been salutary. It was clearly at best maladroit and at worst a mistake, a, a, a very poor mistake. But it, it's, it's interesting. I'm not certain how much damage has been done other than to Ikakisius himself, in my in my again, in my opinion. But you asked, and it's been a subject that's been on my mind over recent days and an awful lot. And maybe people will think I've been boorish or foolish there, but I think in order to to further the debate, a little bit of honesty was merited there. If you're having me on the radio, I should probably own up to mistakes. I think it's all fair enough, Graham. Uh, to be honest, 100%. I have one last uh, question for you. The, the Mbappe situation presumably is causing a lot of people to be interested in... In I mean, we, were, we were kind of thinking the, the world order is set, Mbappe's in PSG, Haaland is where he is. But, you know, Karim Benzema is at a certain age. Is, is all of a sudden 300 million the type of thing that Real Madrid do? Yeah, we can do that. Why not? We'll get the money back. Here, uh, well, they'd have to outbid Liverpool, according to the... the, the the drum roll in the media. Look, here I go again, um, because, you know, I've got no doubts whatsoever that some of the headlines that you read, some of the columnists and the vituperation, I should probably ignore. But I've really hated seeing the outpouring of anger and disrespect for Mbappe without him having spoken. Was there a briefing? Yeah. Is he within his rights to say last summer, no, I'm staying and then get ticked off with something and then want to go? I think he is within his rights. And until he eventually speaks about it, I won't judge him in that condemnatory way, which has been a really big part of the last couple of days, a really big part. In, in greedy terms, I would I would give almost everything to see Mbappe playing in La Liga. I, I know that the, the debate about him and Haaland is one that well, we've been speaking about for a couple of years now. And it, although Haaland is a phenomenon, it pleases my eye more to watch Mbappe. That doesn't matter, I think it's cost really in general. I think Mbappe is almost being underappreciated, undervalued. His ability, his athleticism, his his from the outset of his career, his ability to shoulder pressure, the fact that as a youngster he was pivotal in winning the World Cup and the fact that there are massive uh, faraway boundaries for him to reach playing in in a better club in a better outfit than Paris Saint-Germain and I mean those words better constructed squad with with much smarter more experienced footballers than he's got around him as the general squad without a manager in and out every year on the whim of the owners I want Mbappe to leave Paris Saint-Germain no question so that where he goes, best of luck to him and his team and how they choose it. But he's sensational. And he shouldn't exist only in the, is he better or is Haaland better? Mbappe is a gift from the heavens to all of us who love this sport. He's utterly remarkable. He's beautiful to the eye to watch. You know, bring it on. Yeah, let him leave. Let that be a lesson to Paris Saint-Germain about how they improve. 
how they change their outlook, how they sign, how they develop, how they treat star players. And, and yeah, for my taste, please don't go to the Premier League. Please come to La Liga. I don't care if you play for Villarreal or Real Sociedad or Real Madrid, but come over here. That man is is the reason, another little microcosm of the reason that we love football. Graham, brilliant as ever. Thanks a million. Cheers. Some uh, interesting thoughts from Graham there. Um, the Mbappe thing, right, because uh, the reason I brought it up there at the end was because uh, Paris Saint-Germain have denied that they've pulled the Barcelona trick yeah. of hiring a digital agency to smear Mbappe. <laughs> if I was going to do something along those lines, I might not do the very thing that got <clears throat> one of the other super clubs in the world who exist in my, as my peer group mm. in so much trouble because it's clear that it's going to leak. <laughs> it's like so obvious. Yeah. You're, you're paying a company... Now, they're denying they did it, so they have to take it at face value that they, they're 100% accurate and they did not do that. Barcelona, of course, um, did do it. Mm-hmm. They hired, um, it's like, maybe, <laughs> you know, it didn't work. The tricks that go on behind the scenes. Getting caught yeah, is yeah. the only crime. Is that is that the story? Yeah. Um, and look, from a selfish point of view, we'd love to see Mbappe in the Premier League. I know Graham wants to see him over in Spain, but like... Just that there is that conversation now, and and he he's kind of stoked at himself. I don't know if Mbappe starts some of these stories. He probably does. We all know what goes on behind the scenes of football and and getting things into the press. Well, why wouldn't you? We, we need to do a bit more detail and uh, digging on the Mbappe story. But it, it, like I think he could both be right and wrong here. The yeah. club the club could be really badly run. He might be going the wrong way about getting that fixed now. Maybe it's too late and he just wants a divorce and uh, after the World Cup we'll see what happens. Uh, right, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day as we've done there. Graham Hunter at half past seven. Uh, Trevor Fletcher is joining us at ten past eight. We've got sports pages at 8.30. Ronan O'Kelly is going to talk to us about the Irish Parkinson's golf team and then John O'Keefe and Jimmy Marr are going to join us in studio at nine o'clock. At 9.30 uh, we'll play you some of the highlights from Wednesday Night Rugby. Now, uh, here is Nathan in conversation with Vera Pau yesterday after Tuesday night's heroics. Here she is talking about where Ireland will play their warm-up games ahead of the World Cup next year. What are your initial thoughts on friendlies next month, the break in February as to what you're going to do and what you want to do? Yeah, next month we've spent the money. <laughs> we've spent the money for the Georgia game because they were uh, we were forced to play in June and they were seven weeks out of league and out of competition, so we needed to have a long camp there. Uh, but I have the feeling that the FAI wants us to play, and I think that we will sell out. Sell out I think stadium. you might get a big night in Tala, all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Talak is, uh, is on the reconstruction, so who knows? Have you have you a stadium? stadium you're putting it out but, there maybe, now. But, maybe going, but maybe going into the country, that will also be nice to show yeah. ourselves in other areas of the country because it's time for that. Um, uh, let, let's see how we go. But we will build from there. After November, we will build a program um, that hopefully gets us the right opponents to be ready for the for the World Cup. Would you like the Netherlands in the draw? No. No? No. You couldn't deal with it? No. No, too much happened there. If we played the Netherlands, that would be not easy. Of course, I would deal with it. I would, I'm a professional. We go for it. But uh, that's the only country that I would not like to have in my group. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's straightforward. Don't want that. Fair enough. Yeah. I never actually thought about that because like, from our point of view, from the media point of view, you kind of think, oh, what a great story. Vera Powell taking on the Netherlands at the World Cup, but you can understand why, why she wouldn't want to face them. Like, uh, parallels with 88, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they've been non-stop the whole way through. Um, and, you know, Big Jack, of course, did obviously end up with uh, England and it worked out all right. Well, surely our Dutch luck aren't, has, has run out with 
being drawn with them in the men's draw for the for the next tournament. I mean, that's... We're going to beat them twice. Maybe, maybe. I'd like to avoid them as well. I'd like to avoid the USA, Brazil. Oh, probably I want to play them all. You want to play them all? Yeah. I'd love to get to a, to a last 16, though. Which is still... Sorry, yeah, it can still doable in a tough group, of course. Um, but there is an argument for a, for a New Zealand-Denmark type group. As third seed, it's going to be difficult either way. But um, yeah, they're more than capable of getting to a to a last sixteen. As Louise Gwynn was saying yesterday, like she thinks Ireland are going to be the the third most supported team at the World Cup after the hosts. Um, and fair point with the, with the amount of Irish over there and the, and the Irish that will travel over specifically as well. I think we could uh, we could almost have a home home advantage of sorts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, front page of the Daily Star this morning: Ua up vira. That's the tab of the morning to you. Girls in green hailed. Who's doing the hailing? The Wolf Tones. Wolf Tones slams begrudgers as team sorry for Chantrow. So, um, Brian Warfield supports Vera Pau and the team after Ua up the rat chant. You would expect him to say. They're up to 13 in the nearest charts, I think. Are they? They tweeted last night, the Wolf Tones, saying that the the song is... That that was only as of last night. I don't know where it is at the minute, but it's kind of climbing its way back up the charts. Let the people sing their stories and their songs and the music of their native land, is what um, James McLean tweeted over a picture with him and the Wolf Tones. And so uh, Brian Warfield is saying... He's blasted the begrudgers. The song they celebrated with was their own choice. It happened to be a great song written by me. And I support the song the whole way through. Uh, Brian explained he wrote Celtic Symphony in 1987 to celebrate the centenary of Glasgow Football Club Celtic obviously and um, the up the rail lines refer to graffiti he saw on the wall the people in Glasgow always remember the days they supported Ireland for civil rights and who's to say it's not the IRA of 1916 it's not specified in the song at all Mm. I mean um, it's interesting the The old IRA yeah the death of the author is one of those uh, courses you do in first year in English in college and it's like you know, we, we, the author's intention is not important it's how we interpret these things mm. but here's the actual author saying well I'm not sure which one I was talking about Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know it's too long ago for could, him have, to it could have been anybody 1987 as he said uh, it's a great chant for Irish people because we do love our heroes and we don't like to be bullied he said it's not specified in the song at all so Shane I think a lot of people have a lot of people didn't realise that this was actually because a lot of people just heard the Up the Ra chant and, yeah. and were familiar with the Up the Ra chant maybe weren't familiar that it was from the, the Celtic Symphony song by the Wolf Tones um, so it's kind of it's kind of opened people's eyes a little bit look it was a bit of a storm in a teacup for me for a large part yesterday I see why there was a, uh, an element of anger over it and people are entitled to get offended over whatever they want to get offended by um, and they will but it was just one of those stories that okay, yeah, I don't think any of the girls in that dressing room were, were singing it as a message of support for IRA atrocities during the Troubles. Um, I'd certainly like to think so. I don't think any any Irish person of right mind who sings that song would be singing it in, in those pretenses. Like, uh, well, well sorry. You can't, you know, there's I'd an element. The, the, yeah. the, the, there's a large portion of people who supported the armed struggle and yeah. all of the things that go with that. Because that's uh, if you if you you can't be a little bit in, you can't be like, oh, it's only when they hit military targets. Because that's the whole point of the the bombing campaign was, yeah. was to, you know, like, I, I, like inflict terror. Hundred percent. Um, and, and like I was saying to you before the show, like I've had, I've been involved in teams in Monaghan where that song has been, amongst other songs as well, um, been sang, um, fairly uh, passionately sang by. Do a, people? Do people know the words of it? Oh, everywhere. 
Right. Like, here we go again. We're on the road again. We're on our way to paradise. Like, and then graffiti on the wall. There's like, it's, it's, if you take, if you just, if you just take that little element of the song, the up the ra part, it's like, there's a lot more to the song, which, which again, I don't think a lot of people uh, realized. Like, it's, it started an interesting conversation and the conversation was very much going against. Um, the girls in the dressing room and again why would they video there was cameras in there anyway from, from the national broadcaster so it was hard to avoid but uh, the, the, I mean certain elements of the media asking Irish girls about uh, education and do Irish players need to be educated that's probably um, what essentially brought the story full circle and kind of had, uh, maybe maybe leave them alone a little bit because I don't know if, if the Anglo-Irish history is, uh, chapter in and British schools is too in-depth. Well, good opportunity for us to uh, remind everybody about the, the truth of that relationship. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? We should well, take this opportunity to go, it's a very good point you raise. Let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. Well, I don't know. How, I, don't know how, I, I genuinely don't know how, how much British colonialism and... Zero. Uh, like the famine or the Bengali famine. The, the, marvel, are, the marvel has just arrived. They, 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 you know, there was like a teleporter from Greece to here and they just arrived and we've got them. And all that money we have, we, we, we just found it. Yeah. We, it just... It just crown jewels, yeah. Um, so, so it started a fascinating discussion, and like it, it, we had it in our in our kitchen last night at home. I, I think there was kitchens across Ireland having this discussion last yeah, night. Yeah. And I understand how a certain generation, maybe who lived through the troubles, find it uh, very insulting to hear that song. And I accept that. And there is an argument that in order to move on with the peace process and to maybe go towards United Ireland, we do need to kind of pull back from, from songs and chants that have that kind of uh, those kind of lyrics in it or or we all need to stop getting offended by chants and songs sung at various stages like I don't know in celebration well so but you know here's the thing right so the, the once you start I realise that <clears throat> again this is uh, not a lot of people are going to support this but I, I don't get offended by um, the English fans racially profiling me and accusing me of Membership of the IRA because I don't. I think you're dumb. I think if you're singing that song, you're an idiot. Yeah. And um, I don't really care what uh, Linfield players sing in those videos that were in all the what about, what about, what about. I don't really care that Deccan Rice did this in the past because mm. I think Deccan Rice was a child when he was doing that, and clearly he'd learned it. Yeah. In the team environment, that wasn't something that he licked off a stone. He didn't just come and you know. So obviously somebody in the team was teaching him up the ra, which is what he tweeted twice. Uh, when he was playing for Ireland underage, and they were like, "Oh, you never mentioned that." I was like, "Well, you know, he he was only a kid." So, yeah. like, I I do think that the line of questioning yesterday was way over the top and kind of lacking some self awareness. But like, do we not need to get to a point where none of this matters, as opposed to we can't say anything for fear of annoying people because then yeah. they'll never trust us for United Ireland. The people who were singing the the uh, FTP and whatever the rest of that one. Um, they're not going to believe in United Ireland on the basis of us not singing songs. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. we're not going to win hearts and minds people by like, entrenched. oh, you're right, we shouldn't do that. Like, they're just going to, you know, the people who are building the giant bonfires with the Ivory Coast flag on it aren't suddenly going to go, yeah, you guys are great because you don't, you stop singing up the row in your dressing rooms. Like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. None of, we, we, I think we need to get to a point where none of it matters. Like, burn your bonfires, march your marches. Sing your songs. I don't care. Yeah. But ultimately... Ultimately, is this better for us, all of us, if we have a shared political system with uh, one currency and a government that we elect and a shared idea of what it means to treat all of our yeah. all of our people equally? Like, 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 a lot of this seems to me to be a distraction from the fact that, or, or invented to try and make people fight who are actually the same. Like, 
Yeah, hundred percent. And and like I know it's a different time, and, and Ray Houghton and different team members of Jack Charlton's team from the nineties spoke about how they used to sing songs, Sean South of Gary Owen, and songs like that in in the team bus. Um, and it's just one of those things. Like where where do we stop? Because the man behind the wire was a song financially backed by the IRA, by the Provos in the eighties to keep it in the charts and keep the support for for the IRA arm struggle there. Uh, that song is still around. Uh, Sean South, as I mentioned, is, is still around. Maybe they don't have quite. Um, you know, outgoing phrases like "up the ra" in them, like this song. But yeah, for me, for me, it's a it's a bizarre one. It has certainly started a conversation. Um, I know people in pubs up and down the country, and 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 like Mick made the point on the, on the show last night. This is a song that's played in coppers every weekend. It's played in. I, I, I'll be on the pub in Monaghan this weekend, and this song will be played. Um, you know, as it was maybe last weekend before all this even started. Um, not saying that's right or wrong, but people. They, as you say, they're entrenched in their own views regardless. Um, I don't think the girls expected to start a mini political Anglo-Irish discussion off the back of it. It was just a song amongst songs that they were celebrating to during the night. Getting carried away and caught up in the celebrations, as you're wont to do. And fair play to them. I don't think this impacts The whatsoever. Taylor Swift song hasn't got half as much play. No, I mean, poor Taylor Swift hasn't, won't rise up the charts because of it. The Wolf Tone's getting all the credit. but And all the money. Yeah. but the, Taylor Swift's like, what do I have to do? <laughs> but as far as the girls are on that team are role models, for me, it hasn't changed Nothing, one iota not because of this. Not, not a bit. And you know, I, I, I know um, everybody's like, oh, this is a big wake-up call for them. But actually, like uh, in three weeks' time, they've hopefully have forgotten all about this. I mean, maybe they won't film themselves or they won't live stream they'll film themselves in the change room but it'll be like a, do not stream this live you may stream an edited version later on if you want but yeah. just make sure there's nothing in it I was looking at the social media reaction yesterday and people who I, I know and respect on social media putting up the comments like I, I don't know if I can support this team anymore and I was like are you are you actually serious yeah, yeah. That, that, like, that was a level of madness getting that, that was a level of I'm getting offended on behalf of a bunch of other people and I'm not sure I've actually checked in with them if they actually care about this this much because like <laughs> I you know I don't know I mean certainly um, I think uh, most most families who have any connection with the North know somebody who has been uh, damaged physically or psychologically by the troubles and honestly if like the singing of the song is more important to you than the damage that was inflicted then there's something wrong with that and it's not the same thing like it's not the same thing yeah yeah, and and those people, like I should say, those people who a large portion who got offended originally, maybe toned down a little bit when the line of questioning to Chloe Mustaki came around as well, and uh, people were like, as you said earlier, it's okay for us to give out about it, but as soon as the Brits come on board and start giving out about it, okay, well maybe it's it's calmed the whole story down a little bit. Well, that was the end of it. That was the end. Of it. It's it completely the story died down, and I was wondering myself, how long is this story going to last? Like we need we need the another Champions big league last night. Obviously, it kind of took it's away. It's from always going to fix things, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's it started an interesting conversation. It wasn't in the middle of summer when <laughs> there was nothing to talk about. Yeah, but uh, yeah, still role models and um, still le- absolute legends who just qualified for the World Cup. Yeah. This has not in any way tarnished anything that has happened. 100%. It's like uh, we let every, everybody needs to. Just Calm down and get over it. Twelve minutes past eight this morning. Uh, you can give us your views. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. Paul McGrath is trending. Is that because of Ooh Ah Paul McGrath? There's another. There's another one as well. Yeah, the exact same song, just lyrics kind of changed. So should we should we be offended by that as well? Well, did the Wolfstone song come first? Is that what? Yeah, yeah. The Wolfstone song came for the centenary in eighty seven. So, but Ooh Ah Paul McGrath was it only eighty eight that that came around? Yes, it must have been. So it's born off that straight off the back of the song. That's that's what I would. That's what that was my assumption on it. Now someone can tell me in the comments if I'm wrong. But yeah, I think that essentially came about from the song. By the way, like the song itself, in and around those particular lyrics, 
is actually a, re- a great, really catchy song with the Wolf Tones, and like it's it's going to continue to be sang. Um, now those lyrics are obviously going to spike people. Um, the big so. thing in the in the mail yesterday, which I was doing the rounds in, in my mates' WhatsApp groups, that um, Gen Z. Yep. Well, I think I'm a, I'm a millennial, maybe just before. Oh, okay, okay. So you're too old for the Gen Zs as well. well Jesus, yeah, 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 we, yeah. We've screwed up the casting here. <laughs> um, okay, well then you you won't get this at all. But apparently, the thumbs up in in WhatsApp is like a giant no no because it's very passive aggressive. Ah, here the bit where I'm like, I agree with you. Well, I when <laughs> I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, now I get why everybody has their knickers in a twist about the the uh, video of the team singing. It's because they just don't have a clue what's going on. They're yeah, like, yeah. They just they feel like. The shifting tides are beneath their feet and they're getting tilted over and drowning in the water. Oh, how can they be singing this? It's like, uh, yeah, thumbs up. I didn't know that, by the way. That's, yeah, that's mine. <clears throat> there you go. You're also all 14 minutes past eight this morning. If you've got a view, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number now. Uh, Cathy McNamee, Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan had the latest celebratory episode of Koi Gig. You're going to hear a clip of it in just a moment. Obviously talking about Tuesday night's history making and specifically how Denise Sullivan and Lily Ag dominated the midfield battle against Scotland to help book Ireland's place at next year's World Cup. The Koi Gig Pod on OTV Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We're back afterwards with Trevor Fletcher, who's just led Shinron to their first ever Offaly senior hurling title, beating Kilcormac Kalahi in the process, a club very close to his family's heart. Back after this. OTB AM. It's 18 minutes past eight. We're turning our attention to club hurling and I'm delighted to say we have Trevor Fletcher with us. Trevor, good morning to you. How are you? How are you, George? Shane, how are we doing? Are you well? Yeah, very good. Um, where did you grow up? Uh, Ross Gray. I grew up in Ross Gray, County Tipperary. Um, and uh, moved down to Sri then, and then I moved over to New York for uh, four years. Then back, then came back then, and back to Kilcormack. So Kilcormack is where you kind of were became an adult. Is that fair? Or what age were you when you that, when you were? No. Well, no. I went, I went to uh, I went to New York when I was twenty twenty three. Okay, and I came right. Back then. I came back then in say twenty seven, and I moved then uh, moved to Kilcormack then. I met my now wife in, in New York who's from Kilcormack so we moved to Kilcormack then and we had um, our eldest daughter was born in New York Kayla and then we were after having two more boys now since then Oren and Lachlan Okay right so you married into Kilcormack Kalahi Yeah I married into Kilcormack Kalahi yeah Very good and you raised your kids in Kilcormack Kalahi Yeah yeah the kids are all yeah yeah Bar Kayla were born in New York but yeah all the kids were raised in, 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 in Kilcormack And then at the weekend you went up against Kilcormack Kalahi in the Offaly Hurling Final <laughs> I did I did it was a strange one very strange what was the crack with that? When did you join Shinron as manager? Um, so this is my second season with them. So last year I was with uh, uh, Shinron, joined them last year. So this is my second season with them. I would have finished um, playing senior hurling with KK. I'm still playing a bit of junior with them, but I played uh, finished senior in 2016. Okay, right. Is it true that you went and beat them in the county final and then lined out for the juniors a couple of hours later? <laughs> it was actually the day previous. We had the, we had the junior A semi-final against Balnamere on a Saturday at 3 o'clock and then... I suppose 24, 25 hours later I was battling against them. I mean, this is this is one of those typical brilliant stories that the club scene throws up from time to time. But what's it actually like for you? I mean, it, you know, you've got a job to do and you're obviously, you've been slaving away for two years and, you know, we all know the, the level of professionalism that goes into uh, being the manager of a club team, particularly a senior team who believes they have a chance of, of glory. Because if you're not at it in every training session, somebody on the team is going to be complaining. So you have to be at it and it takes up all your thoughts and minds but at the same time it's against a club who you know you've made your home and I'm sure you've volunteered and I'm sure that the family are very committed to you as well so what's it actually like is it difficult? 
Um, yeah, definitely difficult. Probably more emotional, emotional than anything else. Um, but I suppose I know a lot of the players, a lot of the manager, and they know I have the job to do. And it's very simple. When you enlist, you must soldier. And I, I gave everything I could to first in round for that day. Um, like there's no hard feelings that anybody I hurled with four or five of them I won medals with four or five of them that's on the team and I would have coached about four or five of them to win minor and 16 titles as well with KK so they know how passionate I am about hurling and they knew I would give Shinron all my best you must have after the, the semi-final win Trevor I mean I know you're is the blue ball pub there down in, in uh, yeah. Kalahi like you're, you're probably in there and there's lads from the Kalahi team ahead of the final uh, who you'll be coming up against so is it is it an awkward conversation are they wishing you luck yeah, or well, yeah it was fun um, actually after obviously we won on the Saturday <laughs> yeah um, we won the semi-final on the Saturday so I, I obviously went in and watched the other semi-final with KK and Bor on the Sunday and obviously stopped on the way home from the match in the blue ball and, and some of the players came in and obviously I would be a lot friendlier with some of the senior players and the likes of Joe in the full forward and he said to me we'll talk to you today Fletch but we won't talk to you for the next two weeks and that was just a bit of banter that was there but I also knew it was my time to, to leave as well because they probably wanted to analyse the semi-final and you know they're going up against me so you know yeah where I had two or three points with the boys I knew it was time to leave as well because they had wanted their time too Things are just getting interesting at that stage. Two or three points. The fourth point, you're like, here, listen, you're a fullback. No, I'm, I've, I've had my eye on him the whole time. I'm going to absolutely, you know, just need to be careful about that. Did it help in the end that um, you had a big enough victory that actually, you know, it, it wasn't as uh, on a knife edge maybe as some of these county finals have been in recent years? Oh, absolutely. Um, for a personal reason, I couldn't have worked out a better way, to be quite honest with you. no big controversy you know there's no decisions or no it's all in ref this or <clears throat> it, was a, it was a wide or it was a, a you know I couldn't have worked out a better way for me to be honest in in, in the house then what, what what colours are being worn you're obviously in the in the uh, the red and white but is it yellow and green in, in the house or are they you know for oh, one very, day only supporting you no very much so green and green and yellow <laughs> um, it was funny getting to the car I had my Shinron top on and the wife Gemma had her KK and the two boys Orn and Lachlan they were KK and the little fella Lachlan said to me he's 12 he just said to me um, she's there I'm not shouting for you today which is I totally understand um, I suppose his point of view was he's never seen Kilcormick or can't remember Kilcormick winning a county final so he wanted Kilcormick to win for that for memories for himself What does it mean to a club like Shinron? Um because as far as I know this is they've been in the final before but they've never won it is that correct? Yeah the last final room was 1960 so that was 62 years ago Um Look, it's it's huge. It's huge. Uh, um, to put into words straight away, I probably can't what it means to them, and they probably won't realise it for another few months. Um, don't get me wrong; there was fantastic celebrations, the homecoming, um, the players loved it. Um, I know the kids loved it, and uh, just a reflection with a few of the a few of the players' fathers. You know, this is what it means to them. One of the, I won't name names, but one of the fathers was milking the cows at half six or seven on the on the, on the Monday morning. They started crying. Um, that we'll just have to win in the county final yesterday so it means everything to them Sorry, just, just going to say on that, on that like Kilcormick Lahi a lot of people's favourites heading into the, the, the final as well Trevor like were you expected to, to put up a fight was it kind of a, a case of David versus Goliath heading into the match or, or was it more evenly poised well yeah there were favourites going in and rightly so they had won their 5 out of 5 games coming through the championship semi-final or their 5 four group games and they, and they won the semi-final so there would have been favourites going in but I just knew I knew going in if we could be there thereabouts at half time with them that we'd have a shout and that's how it transpired you know we, we, we kicked on in the second half we got 
I think it was six points in a row in the second half and that kind of gives a great platform to, to bring it home. I, I'm interested in your, in your perspective about the, the general standard at the moment because, you know, we are all desperate for Offaly to get back to the top tier and to bring us back to the heyday when they were competing for All-Ireland. When they were doing that, there was like the core of the team were part of one of the great club teams that there ever has been, um, that that crop who came from Burr. But if they're going to make it back to the top table, you need Kilcormick you need Shinrone to be producing two or three players who are of inter-county standard and then inspiring the generation after that to come through and to stick with the game and to train at the level that you need to train at. Like, I do wonder as somebody who has a little bit of perspective from what things were like in, in Tipperary growing up, you were part of the same underage teams as, uh, as Owen Kelly. So you, you've seen the absolute elite of the game and what they do and how they prepare and the skills work that they do in training. What's your take on where the game is at at the moment in Offaly and the gap that they still have to make make up to get back to that top tier? Yeah, look, they're, they're, they're making good a good headway, I think. Um, I actually listened to Johnny Pilgrim earlier in the podcast and Johnny, being my milkman, is a great character and I think he hit the nail on the head with the... The facilities in, in Faithful Fields is fantastic. I think we're going to get to fruition of that going forward because they're now training at a top-class centre. They're seeing the seniors training before them. And I, I think they are going in the right direction, I'll be quite honest with you. They're into Joe McDonough. They just have to, I suppose, for the next Johnny. I know Johnny Kelly, and Johnny Kelly will put his heart and soul into it with Martin Mark coming on board. So they're getting top-class coaches. And I do agree with you in the sense that they need two or three um, very good hurlers from each club to drive it on and I think it's there in Kilcormick uh, uh, as it is, it's in, in St. Rhinus Shinron uh, Burr so I, I think there is I think I think they have a very good chance in the next three to four years of getting out of John McDonough Like uh, turning even minor success in Offaly into senior level success it's never a given Trevor like that that minor yeah. level success is going to turn into a, uh, something positive at senior level like, but I remember yourself uh, on that tip minor team with, with Owen Kelly and you were a bit of a prodigy coming through in that team but tip certainly did transfer that from minor success into senior like, are, are you confident that Offaly can do the same now after last year's um, minor uh, victories? I, I Well knowing the minor team quite well um, a lot of the players are six six starters from Kilcormick um, I suppose you look at the the kids you look at the fam- their, their background their family background and even you look at the, the whole minor 15 team that started Normally, you're lucky to get two or three hurlers that will transition into senior level. But looking at that off minor team, I can definitely see five or six lads in the next few years coming onto the off team, which will be a huge boost off Um I, I did want to ask you about that uh, breakthrough team from Kilcormick Kalahi, who kind of put the club on the map that um, reached the club final that you were a part of. Because you have that experience, uh, when you're talking to your team now, is there any of that that you can lean back on and go, Look, it's brilliant, right? The story you tell about um, the man milking the cows crying, like I think that really brings home to everybody listening just exactly how much of a breakthrough moment it is. It'd be natural for them to relax and go, nothing else matters now, we've done our bit. But you've been part of a team that dreamed a little bit bigger after making a breakthrough. Are those conversations started? Are they, is it even fair for me to ask you? Like, I mean, you've, you know, you've done everything that you could have possibly dreamed of but at the same time there's you know there's still another competition you're in uh, absolutely listen 2012 I spoke about it before I went and did interviews for the county final with the wife um, with Gemma and it was probably from 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 the we were, day we won the county final going to the All-Ireland Club final probably the six month, best, six best months of our lives as a club as a family and we, you know albeit we're starting to have a conversation with the boys had a week off we're back training there last Tuesday night 
you know, we're taking it one step at a time. But I am, I am kind of remembering what happened with us. You know, it's now winter hurling. It's not, it's not going to be as nice as it was during the summer. Um, so the boys, you know, I, I'm leaning back on my own memories of of how we prepared and what the pitches are going to be like, what the weather is going to be like. So I'm giving them every little bit of information that I can recall myself. Um, you can't think too far ahead. Yeah, yeah, every team that's still left in the, in the championship always you have dreams and believes of playing the biggest day for a club is the All-Ireland Club final. But look, we have Nace next. They're a really, really good team. Um, they're all Ireland Intermediate Champions and you don't win any, any All-Ireland title for nothing. That uh, Club All-Ireland uh, appearance uh, with, with yourself when you were playing, Trevor, like, really interested to listen to James O'Donoghue on the, on the, the football pod during the week where he was talking about losing a county final and, and a missed a missed chance at one stage in the match that he he still thinks about to this day and you know if it, if it pops into his head it's there for an hour um, and I, look I don't want to focus on the negative because back then you look you were county champions you were Leinster champions you went on after that to, to win a few county titles in a row but that, that All-Ireland club final defeat to St Thomas's like uh, and granted you had a good game yourself that day but are, are there elements of, of games like that that stick in your head you think geez, we were we were very close to an All-Ireland club uh, medal yeah, that was, yeah, absolutely. And people do ask you about how did it feel? And for me, it was probably, unfortunately, probably as a, as a team, it was our probably worst performance that year um, on, on the biggest day. Look, we had a few decisions that went against us and there's not much you can do about that. But as regrets, no, there's no regrets. But yeah, you, you would say that it was just unfortunate that we didn't perform overly great on, on, on the biggest day. I remember hearing the the great Brian Mullins always held uh, some element of grudge for the '83 final, wasn't it? With the, with the couple of red cards, and it's something you can hold on. Like a couple of harsh red cards in that game as well, Trevor. You're, are you still holding on to those? Will you carry them with you for the rest of your days? Not look. Listen, I I, I can't talk about it anymore. Do you know, I'm I'm a firm believer in you can control what you control, but there's not much I can do about that. We couldn't do much about it on the day. Only only try and and do the best we could. What happened? The referees are going to make decisions. Look, we all know refereeing at the minute is very, very tough. And at the end of the day, there'll be no matches without referees. So, look, I, I'm not, I don't, it's not, a, it's not a grudge, to be quite honest with you, but it's just, it, it was unfortunate that it happened to us on the, on the biggest day. One last thing, the Republic of Ireland women's national team obviously going to the World Cup next year. Your daughter's on a football scholarship, a soccer scholarship in America. How did that all come about? Yeah, uh, look, she's a, a talented little woman. She plays a lot of camogie as well and soccer and she went up, she joined P-Mount under 17 uh, League of Ireland team and I suppose she was at, I think it was fifth year she was in and, you know, we started asking her questions, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go college-wise? And this came up and we signed up with Stephen Murray Agency and he got us then in contact with, with colleges in America and she's now over in Monroe College in New Rochelle in New York. So, and, and that's where she was born, actually, I believe. She was born only 20 minutes away in, in Woodlawn. Um, so yeah, she's over there now. She's having a great time. Um, college has started. Uh, uh, soccer's going quite well. It looks like they're going to make the playoffs as well. So that that that's starting now. The playoffs are going to be the fourth of May. It's an incredible opportunity, isn't it? Because that was one of the things that um, in a previous generation, like two generations ago, uh, there was kind of a little bit of a sense of, oh, we're, we're training these kids to play and then they're going off to America. And I'm like, that's the best thing that could possibly happen. They'll go off, behave like professionals, get a great education and then come back when they're ready if they want to. Well, this is it. Look, I, I suppose, Kayla, outside of, um, outside of, of being on a scholarship or be, being a college in America, she's living in New York at 18 years of age. The, the experience she's going to gain for that for the rest of her life is going to be phenomenal. Do you still have family and friends over there? Like, so it's a bit of a home going, home coming for her in some ways. 
Yeah, yeah. A lot of my, uh, I don't have any family, but uh, Gemma has family there. But a lot of our, our very good friends is there. Um, my best friend is there, Mickey Marr and Dave Lugnan and, and Mike DeVivo, Stephen Carter. You know, she's, she's, she um, chats with them nearly every day. And Gemma has relations there. And there's so many, like when you go to America, your friends become your family. So, you know, we really have a, a great contact there. And when you see the match the other night, like, I guess, you know, and I'm not saying she's going to make the World Cup squad or anything like that, but like you can see why being part of a movement that is growing as fast as the women's national team is at the moment, that the opportunities are going to be there for her to have an elite career if she wants it. Yeah, look, I think I think women's soccer in general over the world is probably one of the biggest growing sports and it's great that she's involved and there's opportunity, there's going to be, she knows herself there's going to be opportunities there. So when they come, please God, she just has to put her hand up. Trevor, we wish you the very best of luck against Nace. Congratulations, it's an incredible story. Thanks a million for joining us. No problem. Thanks, lads. It's uh, Trevor Fletcher there, uh, the manager of the Shinrone Hurlers, who won their first county championship um, in Offaly. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. At 8.34, the uh, women's national team obviously dominating the front and back pages. We've already done this one, but uh, ooh-ah, up Vera. This is um, the Wolf Tones' Brian Warfield saying, yeah, Vera Pout, go for it. And uh, let, them, let, them, let them sing. Uh, goal firm, fastest hat-trick in Champions League history for Mo Salah as Poole hit Rangers for seven. Is he back? Is that all he needed? It's funny, he, he didn't... Damn, really, it burst. Yeah, he didn't really celebrate for the first goal. The lads touched on it last night, Joe and Kenny on the show. He kind of just stood there, but then he was full-on going for it. I mean, a hat-trick in six minutes is, <laughs> by any account, astonishing. Um, but in the Champions League to do it, it's just... And Roberto Firmino as well. I mean, what a season he's having. Yeah, he's been really good. I think he scored, was it 11 goals last season, nine the year before, and he's already on eight this season. So, well on target to, to smash those records for the last couple of years. Amber's my golden girl. This is... Uh, Amber Barrett's dad said he's bursting with pride after her goal made history and sent on into the World Cup and also uh, Brian Warfield quoted there as well Fly Mo did you get that? Fly Mo is this going to be a, an age reference? no do you, know, you, you don't know what, do you know what a Fly Mo is? Fly Mo no I don't think so alright well, it's a, a lawnmower a loan here? a lawnmower oh, we're getting shake, shaking heads from the, from the box what is it? a lawnmower? yeah right okay never heard the Fly Mo's the no, lawnmower. Just called it a lawnmower, yeah. Well, no, there's a particular brand. Like right, okay, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> uh, we could be World Cup knockouts at Vera Pau. Nine billion pounds, incredible bid Glazers would take to sell Reds. Glazers want 10 billion euros. Yeah, see, it's the. It's the. Um, maybe because the pound is so weak at the moment. Yeah. Maybe it's really about six, you know, eight months ago. It's. it's before a- uh, the Tories crashed their. Um, Economy. Yeah, a bit mad. Twice the market value, apparently, according to the papers this morning. And uh, Jim Ratcliffe, I think those were the, the quotes for the the price that the Glazers want are coming out of. Like They're, they're setting the price so high that the club can't be, can't be bought at that level. Even Ratcliffe has a, a net worth of £10.2 So, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting move for the Glazers, for sure. No excuse for Revel Chance and says, Pow, we're so sorry. This is the mail. This is the Irish Daily Mail. Uh, leading with that at the back there today. And sixes and sevens. Uh, Spurs beat Frankfurt 3-2 obviously last night United battled to avoid Ronaldo tantrum ban remember that he slapped a camera was that what it was he slapped a child he slapped a phone out of a teenage yeah. on the way so, walking off the pitch <coughs> slapped a phone out of a uh, kid's hand but he's trying to plead out of that um, 
back page of the Herald Sky deal with the FAI is safe Fire's team apologised for singing pro IRA song with manager Pow saying nobody meant anything with it and mitigating factors to be Ronaldo's defence the mitigating factors being I'm Cristiano Ronaldo who does this child think he is is that is that it <laughs> I mean I why should I have to um, I don't know the, the uh, Devante Adams the, one of the great wide receivers in American football pushed a cameraman over after the game the other night when his team had been be- beaten by a point and he's been charged immediately with misdemeanor assault in Kansas now um, it's misdemeanor I suspect you plead out of that and mm. I don't know do you do community service or do you pay money or do, do, I don't know whatever happens you pay the man some money and the charges miraculously get dropped maybe that's how, you, how that works but. it was actually a confusing one yesterday because Eric Ten Hag in his press conference <clears> was asked about it yesterday and he said Cristiano will not accept it as in the charge and then the United PR team came out afterwards and says he actually meant he will accept it Oh, so there was a kind of a language barrier um, was there? so I don't know what the, well, was there a change of plans? maybe there was a change of plans but uh, yeah it seems to be a bit up in the air at the moment. obviously United don't want Ronaldo to be suspended at the minute especially after last week when he scored a goal his seven hundredth club career goals. So, and it's a big game tonight. I should mention Jerry as well. That, and I hadn't realised this. If you finish top of your Europa League group, you advance to the last sixteen for next February. But if you finish second, you have to play a knockout game in November. So, United will be hoping to avoid that. Real Sociedad, obviously, the the. Do you not want a few group. extra games to get all those? Uh, you know, to give Casemiro a bit more game time. Not this year. I don't think with the World Cup, there's already no. enough games. Wasps doomed to relegation. This is the Telegraph. Uh, Wasps are likely to be relegated from the Premiership after announcing they're going to administration in the coming days. Uh, so that's that's this is the Telegraph, right? And remember, we went through the paper yesterday yeah. for the report on the Ireland game, and it was like no, nothing, nothing. And then Mo Salah, PSG are denying the attempt to smear. Mbappe through social media and then oh there's a picture of the Ireland women's soccer team celebrating that, and that's that's all it is just a picture of the team celebrating there's nothing else in the in the Telegraph about it no other reference to anything else ignored just ignored yeah uh, hopefully we've inspired enough young girls to keep at it this is Anya Gorman speaking in the Irish Times Pow shirks nothing as she leads her side into a whole new world and can the FAI make hay while the sun shines so the prize money is going to be something like 1.2 uh, million yeah, FIFA yet to confirm, but it's around 1.2 million prize money per nation. And then I think you get extra depending on mm. how well or how far you go into the competition, which obviously isn't huge. And you would expect the players will be getting a large portion of it. Yeah. Because that's what happens. And well-deserved. Exactly, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> just on Vera Pau, how impressive has she been generally? Like a lot of people who weren't familiar with her, obviously us in the, in the sporting sphere, we've been aware of her for, for some time, but uh, people are setting up and taking notice because she's a leader. Uh, in, in more ways than one the Irish sports personality of the year potentially uh, a, there is competition um, well, it's, I'm trying to remember what's happened this year um, oh yeah yeah. so uh, <laughs> it's going to be somebody from Kerry in the running for that yes Clifford yeah. but the personality they, is you're saying it's the manager's award is it no well well Vera is manager of the year I think right she's manager of the year she has to be um but yeah, it's uh, she, she, what she's done for football in this country can't be can't be underestimated, and and hard to believe it's her first World Cup as a manager uh, next summer. So uh, yeah, she's as excited as the players, understandably. Uh, the Examiner headline makers: What's next for Ireland after Hamden Joy and regret? I mean, I don't know. We're all going to forget about that regret pretty quickly. We're going to the World Cup. I like to think in reeling in the years it'll just show the Amber Barrett goal set the music and there won't be any No, no, the, that's like so of course it'll <laughs> uh, it depends on who's in government at the time of course Yeah, are, are we allowed to say stuff like that we're not Irish Independent front page is um, a picture of Amber Barrett and her as a kid uh, it doesn't say what age she is there but her with the early golf flag and then Sky say deal with Irish team won't be axed Tyrrell urges Fenley to reconsider Kilkenny retirement 
Derek Ling needs to sit down with Colin Fenley and see if the two-time All-Star can be coaxed out of retirement, according to Jackie Tyrrell. I would say that's a possibility. Colin's gone away for the summer and looks a little bit reinvigorated and refreshed. He was very good last weekend against Tullerone and he went to centre-forward at one stage. Now the game has opened up. The game had opened up, but he got a ball and took off down the wing. I thought he might have lost a bit of pace, but by God, he hasn't lost any of his pace. Well, the, the new condensed season potentially uh, like plays into the hands of players who might want to come back for a little short shortened intercounty season get it over and done with and get your games in in a, in a short space of time so yeah it's, there's probably going to be loads of that where you see players retiring coming out of retirement one last Michael Jordan last dance um, that'll be great to see him back but um, depends what else he's got going on in his life because intercounty commitment is fairly substantial um, especially when you're still playing club as well so yeah a lot of competition on that Kilkenny team though uh, someone has to come for Limerick <clears throat> well, no harm having somebody like that on the bench if if that's what it is, or no harm having him do forty minutes softening somebody up, yeah, and and taking a lot of hits and then moving on, you know. Well, it's the experience in the dressing room, isn't it? Like the, you can't, and it's a cliche, but you cannot buy that type of experience in the dressing room. Someone who's a leader, been there, done that, and you've got the young lads coming through constantly every year, as Kilkenny inevitably do. Um, so yeah, having someone like that in the dressing room is is a, is a big plus for Kilkenny if he does consider what Jackie Terrell is, uh, Terrell is suggesting. Um, headline from a piece we just taken, I think, from the London Independent. Sancho stuck in reverse after failing to hit mark for United. Sancho's a bust, is that what you're saying, Ger? I mean, uh, far be it from me to say that, but yes. Uh, it was around this time last year that the very first questions began to be asked about Jaden Sancho. You know, in politics, there used to be that old kind of, um, if the scandal is still a scandal, you know, day one, you're okay, you write it out. Day two, day three, it's like, you're gone. But yeah, a year later, still asking questions about a footballer, that would suggest that, you know. Nah. But I thought he fixed it with the goals. He scored that great shimmy of the hips. It was a very, very good goal. Yeah, yeah. A very good finish um, against Liverpool. Yeah, well, remarkable goal. And um, no, I don't. I, I wouldn't be concerned. I think there was there, there was an element of headlines. You like wouldn't that. be concerned. There was an element of headlines like that for Firmino a few weeks at the start of the season. Everyone was like, "Oh, out of contract at the end of the season, it's a big Firmino trouble." Cost? I know, but Firmino yeah. wasn't like the the, the 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 Messiah riding over the hill. Money's irrelevant in football anyway. But like, okay, but he is the Messiah who's supposed to fix the team, and Sancho. then it turned out Sancho, oh, Sancho and Varane, yes, new team, we're totally different. <laughs> oh, look, he's been he's been affected by. The, the Dutch Elm disease is footballer's equivalent of it where it's like something happens to you and you just can't he, he has he's, he started to add, to add goals to, to his has to his he play. started has he, he started yeah. uh, slowly but he started three goals this season yeah. wow look he, two goals this season he's not the finished article by any stretch um, but the, the good thing for United is, is that the likes of Rashford heaven Martial, forbid you'd spend 80 million on the uh, finished article yeah like Harry Maguire um, like the 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 signs have been good because Rashford and Martial have been almost stepping up when Sancho's form has dipped and vice versa um, I don't know there's going to be a lot of games a lot of game time for Jadon Sancho I don't think he's a he's he's still a, only, look he's still only 22 and I'm not yeah. saying that he can't fix it but it does it's getting further and further from being fixed isn't it? I, I, I don't see it that way I, I think th- it's getting better no, I, th- I think I think he's going to come good, and and I actually think he he could still have a good season. And, and three goals, one against Sheriff, one against Leicester, and one against Liverpool. Yeah, um, not probably not the return he would have liked. Um, not getting in the team at the moment. No, he'll, play, he'll probably play tonight because it's Ammonia and Nicosia at home. Well, because we've talked about him, he'll probably score a couple of goals tonight. Well, that's what your hope is. <laughs> 
but yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, he's such he's such a talent that you almost don't feel too concerned. But like, because when you saw the Sancho and Bellingham uh, at Dortmund, you're thinking these guys are on the same level. Bellingham was taking it to the next level. We are we're still waiting for Sancho to do that. Um, but I would expect he will do it once his confidence gets gets up a little bit. And Ten Hag clearly has faith in him. Um, so yeah, he, he just needs a couple of goals, a couple of good performances, and, and maybe his level will be. Resumed Newcastle this weekend is going to be a big one as well for United at home. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going pear shaped. <laughs> it is going pear shaped for Sancho. You want it, you want something a bit more than this, right? Yeah, but patience. It's gonna it's gonna happen. He didn't play the last day. Um, rested. No, he got dropped. He well, got dropped. He got hooked at half time against Ammonia away. Criticised for lack of movement. Dropped for the next game. Yeah, performance has improved. And look, we don't know what's going on. What's going on behind the scenes? You can have you can have a period of time where you you go out of form. We talked about Usman Dembele earlier for Barcelona. He had a kid recently. We talked about the kid bounce. Sometimes sometimes maybe it can go the other way. That's in snooker. That's not in, that's not football, is it? <laughs> the kid bounce. Yeah, and golf. Um, a lot of golfers do well when they have, when they have kids. But um, no, I don't know. Jaden Sancho, I think. Has the talent? Can I just? Um, there's a brilliant. I, I, I should have led with this. Mark Critchley has, uh, has dig, dug this out. The lack of a consistent goal threat has not been compensated by consistent creativity either. Sancho's 0.08 expected assists per 90 minutes in all competitions is lower than that of Fred, Dallo, and even Ronaldo. Expected assists. Pass me a bucket. But like, come on. Yeah, are you saying it's not real? No, but expected goals I can I can nearly get behind. And okay, but he's less creative. Do you accept that it's a real thing and that he has been less creative than Fred, Dallo and Ronaldo? Yeah, but there were a couple Ronaldo of games... who doesn't pass and never plays. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the point. But I mean, there's been games earlier in the season where, where Sancho looked like United's best player on the pitch for, for a few games. Um, uh, was, uh, maybe, was the, maybe the level of players there, around him wasn't Were there good. not a few minutes in a game where he looked good? I think he had a few good performances for United this season. Like, do you remember Didi Hammond lecturing the world on uh, RTE? Why aren't they picking Sancho? We think he's brilliant. Everybody says he's brilliant, and then and then uh, then they bought him, and uh, and it turns out he shouldn't be anywhere near the England team. I almost think Sancho. I understand why he he shouldn't be near the England team. And look, if you're not playing regular football, uh, that's understandable. But I think the Sancho conversation is going to come back to us in about a year or two's time, where we're like. Okay, this is this is Jaden Sancho. Okay, you you keep praying to the god of, of Jaden Sancho. The 22 year old has never been a prolific shooter, but three goals in all competitions have come from just seven shots. Staggeringly, Sancho's average of 0.74 shots per 90 minutes is among the bottom one percent of Premier League players in his position this season. Yeah, if you don't buy a ticket, you can't win the lottery, Shane. True. Yeah, he has to start creating more, but um, I don't know. I. I, just, I I think with I think Ten Hag is the perfect manager for him. Um, he seems to be a confidence breeder, uh, and that that's something he's been shorn of. Like Marcus Rashford and Martial were two players completely devoid of confidence. All of a sudden, now they're two of United's best players, certainly in, in an attacking sense. So yeah, again, I, again, I, again, again. Who are you comparing them with? Who like who are who who's and also they're not really like the new kid who scored three goals in three games by t- taking shots from outside the box. He looks good. Yeah, no, I like still. He was compared um, to Nani at the weekend um, on Monday show when we were talking with um, Andy about it, Andy Mitten. So I don't know. I'm just um, 
I'm just not sure about your, where your optimism is, is, is coming from here, Shane. It's going to come good. It's going to come good. Well, we all know the football football fans are eternally optimistic for for no reason. So um, I'm going to hold on to that. It's, it's, Liverpool fans held on to optimism about Firmino, and it's come good. Yeah, but he was like uh, their fourth yeah. best attacking player, and it was uh, Jota or Firmino. It wasn't, and they had Mo Salah in the team. Yeah, but it was Salah all Mane. It was all Salah's number one man. Mane's gone. Uh, Dara Nunez has been brought in. Firmino's gone. His contract is up at the end of the season. He is. Disappeared and now all of us, it's just like signing the dotted line. The contract classic, is coming. Classic water battery there from the Manchester United fan. 8.49 OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Now, I'm delighted to say we're joined in the line by Ronan O'Kelly, organiser of the Irish Parkinson's golf team for the annual Sport Parkinson's Four Nations Golf Tournament, which took place this week at the world famous Belfry Golf Club in England. And Ireland only went and won it, beating England, Wales, and Scotland for the trophy. Ronan, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, tired and emotional. But it's been great. That's very, very, very good, good form. That's class. Um, was it close or did you wallop them? I'd like to say it was close to be nice about it, but we, we had a five out of five, uh, you know, whitewash on the first day, which is a foursomes of, of, uh, and uh, match play. And uh, after that, we were kind of coasting really, you know. And then a couple of lads came through yesterday. There was 10 teams out there yesterday from each nation and... Uh, Three of our teams came in the top seven, I think it was. So I mean, we we had a bail really in in, in the end, but uh, yeah, it was all around good, 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 good play, and uh, yeah, we seem to have a, do a good job of it. All right, Ireland being good at golf is probably not that much of a surprise. Um, are, uh, tell me a little bit about how this tournament started. When did you get involved in it? Well, the, the tournament started was started by a guy here in England called Char- Charlie Appleyard. He runs a, a group called Sports Parkinson's. They do not just golf, but they do. You know, walking football, uh, five side triathlons, all that stuff for people who have Parkinson's disease. And uh, he contacted somebody in Ireland there, one of the lads in Ireland there, about a, a year or two ago. And there was a team sent over nine people last year. And uh, those guys initiated the whole connection and made it the Four Nations. And uh, this year, uh, we, we decided to go as a different, we decided to go again. But it's all part of a group called the Irish Parkinson's Golf Network which was set up after this competition last year by those guys, those, those initial guys, uh, to have a network around Ireland for people who have Parkinson's and want to play a bit of golf together, uh, bring their partners down, have days out, talk to each other, you know, have, have, have you know social meetings. And if you're in Donegal and other guys in Derry, you can play a game of golf together. It's just a network really for everybody who wants to play golf that has Parkinson's. You know? What was it like to, to play the Belfry, Ronan? A, a fairly famous course. It must have been quite exciting to, to go around those holes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new convert. I've, I've been playing three or four years, um, but the guys in, in particular who who played golf all their lives and uh, were, were were really spellbound by the place. It, it, it's a beautiful course. It's fantastic. Very uh, testing in places. Iconic, obviously, and uh, it's it's a real privilege to play. Really, you know. So, particularly if you're wearing the national colours, you know, that's, that's amazing, you know. Yeah, I'd say that that um, only adds to the whole thing. It does sound like you were kind of, you know, not fully appreciated. Did you say you really only took up golf in the last three or four years? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, a friend of mine uh, asked me, I, I was telling him that uh, he, uh, that uh, I was getting bored of walking. I have to do quite quite a lot because I have the Parkinson's disease and I have to do keep, keep going, keep moving, keep, keep active. And the, the walking was kind of boring me. Uh, and he suggested uh, that I join his club, Cat Mines. So thanks to him, Michael Oliver Fleming. Thanks, thanks to him, I'm playing golf and really loving it. And during COVID, it was especially fantastic for me, you know. But a lot of these guys have been playing a long time, and 
you know, Parkinson's is very debilitating. So you can go from being a scratch golfer or a low, low handicap golfer to being, you know, not not very good compared to that uh, in, in the space of a couple of years. And it's very despondent, makes them very despondent sometimes. And you just want to make sure that people who, who play golf continue to play it and continue to stay active and not get despondent, you know. And this kind of thing makes it great because you just enjoy it. It's fantastic. You managed to get over the uh, the initial frustration phase of, of taking up golf, Ronan, obviously. I mean, was it a... Was it a uh, uh, an immediate okay I'm good at this or was it a I hate this for a while and, and then you eventually got to love the sport I look it's golf and so and I've been I've been informed by many over the years that uh, it doesn't change much and the way I play that won't change much either so it's not really about it's just, just about getting out there staying active and have a bit of a laugh you know you talked about um, having to stay active uh, I think one of the misconceptions that the organisation that you're a part of is is trying to overcome is is the fact that um, you can't do stuff. That it's actually the opposite of that you're supposed to do stuff. You're supposed to be as active as you possibly can, and, and uh, any any kind of initiative to um, to get people out more often, particularly as you've talked about, that, that has the dual benefit. One is the physical activity, and then the other side of that is the social activity. Yeah, well, it's brain and body, and uh, physical activities has been proven to work, really work. Uh, to counter against some of the symptoms and some of the outcomes of what, what, what Parkinson brings you. It's really important to stay active as you can. Obviously, mentally, it's a huge thing as well because it's a very big moment in your life when somebody gives you a diagnosis and you, you, you're you obviously going to be concerned about it. You can go one way or the other, you know, and uh, it's very important to remember that it's not a death sentence. You know, it's, it's just something that you'll carry with you uh, for the rest of your life and it doesn't have to be as bad as it may, may be perceived or made out to be in, in, in general folklore, you know, the, the bottom line is you just stay as active as you can but you're right, there's a counterbalance, you know your body's saying no, but you've got to say yeah, and uh, it's just about trying, trying to beat that as, as much as you can, you know that, that kind of bodily function saying to you look, you know, I don't want to do this now <laughs> you kind of have to kind of push it a little bit and say look, you know, I want to, I want to, I want, I want to be okay tomorrow, so I need to do this today, you know are there many supports for people out there? Like, was that something that you kind of, obviously you're unaware of it until you need access to something like this, but that support group where somebody is going to help you to say, come on, up you go, let's go, let's get out. Well, the, the Parkinson's Association of Ireland is a very good uh, concern. They're, 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 they're very active and they're very helpful in, the, in this. I mean, this, this, this Parkinson's you know, situation is, is, is something that um, needs support. I mean, I have a support system around me, wife, family, friends who are fantastic and amazing. Not everybody will have that. Um, I'm, I was quite young. I was 47 when I was diagnosed. I'm 55 now. There are people who get diagnosed in their 70s and they may not have that support system around them as much as I do. Um, so, yeah, of course, you, you need to have that support. There are sports groups. You know, Parkinson's Association of Ireland are very, very good. Um, local community groups exist. You know, that's why our thing is a network. It's not a, it's not a, a golf club or a golf group society it's a network it's about talking to people it's about hooking up with guys from and girls from 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 around the country and playing games and playing playing our particular games golf there's lots of other sports there's walking football there's uh triathlon there's dancing there's singing there's everything it's just it's not just about the golf it's, it's about do whatever you can just to keep going you know that's an interesting point you made Ronan about the the death sentence misconception and that and that's a that's a fascinating one because for a lot of people that that stigma is there that people think okay once you get Parkinson's um, the, the rest is downhill but it's important for, th- for things like this to raise awareness of that and, and I guess show people that that's not the re- true reality 
I had that. I, 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 I went through six months of torture, really, you know, and uh, I got therapy and stuff, and my family were very supportive. But the, I don't remember, but the, my wife would tell me that I was quite hit by it and hard, hit hard by it for the first six months. But I came through it. I got out the other end and said, look, it's another day, is another day. And here we are, like, seven or eight years later, I'm playing the Belfry for Ireland. So, you know, every cloud and all that. But, look, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to get that diagnosis. And... Um, but the reality of the situation is it's not going to, you, 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 it, it's not something that's going to turn you over in two, two weeks' time. You can't keep going. And with countermeasures such as exercise and other and medical and other treatments and other supports, you know, it's, it's fine. You can live a pretty, pretty active life. I'm still very, very active and still enjoying it and still laughing away. And if anything, I have a better perspective on life than I had before. Was there a, a turning point in, in that journey along the way, Ronan, where you actually did get to grips with this? The kind of a, a period of time, yeah. There was a period of time. There was a uh, when, when I, as I said, I, I went through two sessions of uh, therapy, hypnotherapy, and psychotherapy, and that was very, very helpful. It, it obviously, switching around. I've no idea how it happened. I've no idea what happened, but I do know it helped. So within about a six-month period, and just the persistence and, and, and support of my wife and family and friends was was was, was vitally important to that. So there was a time when I just turned a bit, you know, I said, screw it, let's do this, you know, and uh, let's take, let's, let's, let's make the best of it. So, um, you know, like I, I kind of quit work uh, for a year. I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm not going to work for a year. I'm going to just do nothing. And uh, I'm just going to get my act together. And uh, over that period of time, it just got better and better and better for, for me. Um, and then, you know, but just little, little things would happen. There was, like there's a newspaper article by Amy Hoover, a better dad. Back in 2015, just after, after I was diagnosed, I remember sitting in a tyre replacement place out in Ballyfermot somewhere, waiting for my tyres to be done, reading that article. I was just going, like, you know what, shag this, I'm just going to do this. So little little tiny things like that, but mostly my wife and my family and everybody else just being persistent and saying, look, come on, you can do this, you know, we can get it on. But that's why the support system is so important. And for instance, in, in our thing, the golf thing, the partners are a huge part of it. Everybody has partners and partners and, and helpers and carers they come along to the show. There's, everybody here has partners and, and helpers and every, everybody here is another person with them, at least one other person to help them along. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's a hard journey without them and it's very important that they're here. Yeah, and the, to get the reward to go somewhere nice and, and hang out in the Belfry is great. Um, you were raising funds for it. I know there was a, a GoFundMe as well for anybody who wants to get behind and support. Yeah, I mean, I left it open for today and tomorrow and, and until Friday, I think. Uh, it's GoFundMe. If you just look up... Uh, I think it's uh, Parkinson's, Irish Parkinson's golf team. My name, Ronan O'Kelly, and you'll, you'll find it on, on GoFundMe. It'd be great to get a few more, a few more quid. All that money is going to Parkinson's Association of Ireland for them to do their work. Um, and we, like we all paid our own way here. We did our own thing, and the fundraising is to go to Parkinson's Association of Ireland. We'd like to raise, you know, you know, another few quid. I think we're up to about sixteen, seventeen grand. We'd love to get up to about twenty grand or something like that. It'd be nice. But it's not, it's not, it's not vitally important. The, the most important thing is to get the message out there to people who have Parkinson's to stay active. And anybody who's interested in golf and Parkinson's, just go to Twitter, golf parkies at Twitter, on Twitter, and go to um, the Irish Parkinson's Golf uh, Network, Irish Parkinson's Golf Network at uh, gmail.com, I think it is. But Irish Parkinson's Golf Network are... Parkies Golf on Twitter. Okay, so they should definitely be able to find it. Ronan, congratulations. Does that mean now that you're the champions, there with a trophy, obviously, we see you there. We've got yeah, a picture. It's a nice trophy, little yeah. claret jug. 
Yeah. Well, a Guinness jug. A Guinness jug, yeah. <laughs> Very good. And you guys, are you the host next year automatically or how does that work? No, there's, there's a talk about it. The, the, the other groups are all talking about it. They'd love to come over to Ireland. Essentially, it's been held here for two years. The organisation Sports Parkinson control that. Right. We'd all love to have people over here. We'd love to host them over here, but... It's up to them. It's up to them. They do a great job over here, so it's no problem. But like, we definitely want to host it or something similar to it very soon, and we'd like to have something in Ireland very, very soon for the thing. You know, it's it's great crack. It actually makes it's good spectacle as well. It's a bit of crack, you know. Ronan, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us, and best of luck with everything. Cheers. Cheers, cheers, Shane. Cheers, Shane. Thanks. It's uh, Ronan O'Kelly there, a member of the successful Irish golf Parkinson's team, who were um, dominant. It seems like from start to finish. I love it. Ab- complete dominance, and he's semi-modest. You shouldn't be modest. I mean, you absolutely thrash the opposition at the Belfry. That's that's one to tell the grandkids about. That's incredible. It's a minute past nine this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you for the rest of the day. Ray Boom Boom Mancini at one o'clock. Leaders' questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is GA meets basketball. If memory serves correctly, it's... Uh, Donaghy, J.O. and Liam McHale I want to I want to say um, and if it is the panel I'm thinking of it's one of the best things that I've ever been uh, in the room watching because um, that's basically all you had to do with the three lads uh, and then after that it's Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali and then the show is live tonight Nathan is in this seat it's a bumper show with match winning hero Amber Barrett on the line Brian O'Driscoll and John Giles also lining up tune in from 7 o'clock now make sure that you uh, download the OTB app in your app store and subscribe to all our podcast feeds it's the best and quickest way to get access to all of our audio content we're back after this break with John O'Keefe and Jimmy Marr in studio they're Connolty Ross Moore teammates of Dylan Quirk who obviously suddenly passed away at the age of 24 after being taken ill during a game in August OTB Right, uh, John O'Keefe and Jimmy Marr are with us in studio this morning. Lads, you're both very welcome and thanks very much for coming to join us. Um, This isn't going to be an an easy conversation, but uh, you guys were teammates of Dylan Quirks who passed away this year at the age of 24 after being taken ill during a game. Um, And we just, we felt maybe now that the dust has settled on the season, it might be time to have a chat about it and kind of see what the experience was like and, and maybe just to try and do some service to the, the memory of, of Dylan Quirk. Um, John, I might start with you. Um, tell us about him as a as a, as a man, will you? Because I think sometimes, you know, we end up thinking about just the player, but actually, you know, this is a, a man who um, touched a lot of lives and reading the testimonies afterwards was a, a real leader in the community too. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry was only 24 years of age, but he uh, he just seemed to be a pillar of, of sense from, from a very early age. Um, and that was on, on the field, but is very much so off the field. Um, heavily involved in his family business, uh, just a decent guy, always organising stuff for the club or for his group of friends. Um, and yeah, I suppose no matter the age gap, I think that's the big thing about him. He's friendly with the older generation of lads and he was able to mix it with the younger guys as well. Uh, and everybody was just so fond of him. Jimmy, you were a teammate from underage as well, were you? I wasn't, I was actually, I'm a few years old, I'm okay. 28, so he's 24, and I actually moved to Boston, so I didn't hurt with him until about three years ago, really. Right. But the minute I came back, like, he just, you were welcome straight in, by the whole club, obviously, but Dylan especially, like, he'd be driving you on the whole time, and he was the one that, he'd make you go to the gym with him, he'd make sure you're eating properly, he'd ask me, if I'm sitting down at home, he'd come up and 
he'd say, buttons, are you after eating, are you? And if I'd say no, he'd make sure, get that into you now, and he'd, there'd be shepherd's pie in the fridge and all this, and he'd make sure you're eating, then he'd tell you to go up and weigh yourself and all this, like, he's just, just really look up to him and he's such a good fella like, you know? have to have the, the strength of character and personality uh, emotional intelligence the, the people would call it to be able to carry that off where you're like I'm just back from Boston I'm, I'm going to do what I want here yeah. and some young <laughs> fella's coming up and saying are you eating and you're like actually you know what I'm going to listen to this guy yeah exactly it's just I lived with him there for the last two years so he's just like he was what 24 I'm 28 and like it's amazing just how you'd look up to someone four years younger and Younger than Janet, you know. Yeah, that seems to be what you were saying. Like your your experience, yeah. you know, you've, you've been around, you've seen everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's eight years younger, nine years younger than me, and I still like if if Dylan arrives onto a train session, the ante is up straight away. You know, we obviously he's gone with tip for most of the year, uh, and then arrives back and straight away there's a ten percent increase, twenty percent increase in training, and if Dylan says something, players listen, and I'm talking about from. 35 years of age down to 18 years of age and it, was, it wasn't even just that at the age of 24 he was doing that because I, I remember um, the, the, the photograph of himself and, and the famous Joe Hayes after the was it 2018 yeah year, 2018 final, final, yeah. and like he scored a couple of sidelines in, in that match as well and he was, he was probably only about what, 20 or 20. 21 20 so like he was leading from, a, from the very outset of him breaking into that senior oh, club absolutely. team Shane, we wouldn't have won that, that year that county final without Dylan he was the main man at 20 years of age and it never fought, like never shook him or he, that responsibility on his shoulders. He just took it in his stride. Absolutely. I just remember there we, we went down a point or we lost, we conceded a goal and like I think Dylan won the next three or four balls and like they were tough balls to win. One freeze, got a score and you know for 20 years of age you're like this man is going to be phenomenal and he was. Uh, and like I even, it's gas uh, looking at those photographs like he was a big player he was very athletic tall but like he'd filled out so much in the couple of years mm. he just did everything right but yeah even at that at that age was incredible player Are they your favourite memories those those matches where uh, the game's in the melting pot and, and he stands up is that well, like when, when you think back now is that what That's when you talk about someone with his ability but he, he matched his ability with that honesty and application and effort which is a huge I don't know what, yeah he just you don't see that in every day um, and I just think he had that X factor. When a game is in the melting pot, you say, "Let's hit it down on top of Dylan." That that was, you know, there was no plan. There was no that was your go-to ball. Let's hit it down on top of Dylan. And nine times out of ten, he made something happen. And like ine- inevitably, he makes the breakthrough to the Tipperary County side as well. And, and I mean, um, I think he played all, started all of the all of the games, championship games anyway last year. Like the the great quote from from Dylan, he was speaking to reporters when he made his his um, his Tip debut against Cork he was like it was unreal I've waited all my life for this it's a dream come true just to play with the lads it's a dream so it, it, it was obviously something that was on his uh, periphery for quite some time but to make that breakthrough must have been so special for him yeah. it was I suppose that, that's the thing it took him took him a year or two maybe just to settle in there and uh, any player who goes in with an intercounty team you know it's different to your club it is a step up so it takes maybe a year or two to adjust and I think Dylan had that breakthrough year um, and I'm sure Liam Cal is tip manager. Is probably you know has lost a, a big part of his of his panel next year because he would have been looking at the the performance this year and said, yeah, Dylan is very close to being a nail on starter. Uh, but I I don't think anybody in the club or anyone who knew Dylan was ever going to think that he wasn't going to break through onto that team because 
there's just a level of commitment there and desire to do to get onto that team and do everything right on and off the pitch. He just had it in abundance. What was he like as a, as a housemate, Jimmy? Did he oh, clean he up? Some crack now. Yeah. <laughs> he was, I was just different. Like I don't know, it's just a pure messer, really. Like that's I think that's why we got on so well because I'm a bit of a messer as well. Like. But, <laughs> Like, just one story, say, we used to go golfing, say, in the evening or whatever, and um, Paddy, the neighbour, across the way, came over, and he says, I'd love, like, Paddy used to be, he used to love Dylan, like, any time Dylan come out of the house, Paddy would be straight over talking to him, he's mad to talk to him or whatever, but we went golfing anyway one evening, and Paddy came out and he caught us and he goes, I want to, I'd love to play around with you or whatever, and Dylan messing, like, me and Dylan were kind of half messing with him, and... Dylan says, you can play with us if you want, Paddy, but I'm playing off two and Jimmy's playing off five. <laughs> and Paddy was kind of, he's kind of scratching the head, but he said he still wanted to play or whatever. But um, he said he played with us two weeks later, but he came up to me two days after Dylan passing. I, I came out with a home house, or the house in Turles, and Paddy came across and he goes... Jenny, Jimmy, I'm so sorry to hear. I'm so sorry to hear like this. We're, and we were meant to be playing golf next week. And y- you were playing off five, and Dylan was playing off two. He <laughs> says. And uh, I was. I hadn't. I had. I didn't tell him at the time that we were only taking rip, taking the rip out because I wouldn't hit the ball out of my way. And Dylan, <laughs> Dylan was only kind of getting lessons at the time, so he was only getting a bit better than what he was. But I met Paddy a week later, and I told him we we're only messing with him. So. <laughs> He finally found out. Yeah, he finally found out we're only taking the rip. Um, Jimmy, how how do you make sure that the memories that you have stay fresh? How how do you keep um, how do you keep them part of your life? And because in Ireland, I know we we had this conversation very recently with um, Brandon O'Duffy about his son Ogie. He's written a book about him, and he found the whole experience to be very worthwhile, but also difficult at times. And I, I was making the point that like we're great at funerals, the whole. The whole country yeah. was obviously yeah. shocked by what happened and paid loads of attention. And then you guys went back to the kind of the cadence of the season, playing matches. But after that's over, then the winter's very long. I'm sure you want to keep his memory alive by just talking about him. Yeah, like there's so much, like you can only say so much on air. Like there's so much stories to tell, and like all your friends are there for you to hold him. Our club is been so good like our club has been unreal so like, we're, lo- we're all actually going away we're going away to Killarney in a few few weeks time the whole club together so that's going to be like j- what can you do like I don't know you just have to get on with it really like yeah tell tell stories about him and visit his grave and maybe go up and visit his mother and father and Shannon and Kelly as well like you know yeah I'm sure for them it's it's terrible but John that that is one of those things that like um, sometimes we can shy away from speaking about people particularly who, whose lives are cut so tragically short I I don't know maybe the right thing to do is just keep talking and like you know yeah I, I yeah definitely I'd have to agree uh, like we can't as much as we have to move on with our life like every time we go back down to the training pitch we remember Dylan like every time we talk out we remember Dylan so he's always going to be a part of our life we're, we're, he's never going to be not uh, and that's the same for, for Dan Hazel Kelly and Shannon like they have to try and get on with their life as best they can but they've lost somebody very special to them yeah. um, but there's no point in shying away from that like we you know we'll try and support them as best we can I just think they've been wonderful the last 8 or 9 10 weeks I think they've been just brilliant um, and they've got huge support from the club and we'll continue to support them as best we can but um, I've never been as proud as 
mean, you're always proud of your club, Connolly Rossmore, but I've never been as proud of them as I have been in the last 10 to 12 weeks. They've just been immense. Um, Derry City renamed the Brandywell there, Brian McBride, Brandywell. I, it's very early on, but like naming something locally in his honour might be something, some way of kind of just keeping the conversation going. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure those conversations are happening in the background. I'd be surprised or not. You know, his his uncle is his chairman at the club, Andrew Friday, um, and Andrew has been a wonderful chairman and has been a real leader since since Dylan's tragic loss. So, um, but even you know, there are small little photographs have gone up around our dressing room now that. Of Dylan in action, or um, after the county final, and those kind of things. So, all those small little memories will will mean a huge amount. How were the weeks after in terms of actually getting back on the field and playing matches? What was that like? I was actually just I was just chatting with, with Jimmy here before we came on the air, and I remember initially, like the Saturday Sunday, we, I was thinking, how do we go back down to the pitch here Tuesday night or Thursday night or whenever we get back? I said, this is. This is it doesn't make a difference anymore, like you know, and then and then as time went on, I suppose the the funeral was the the Tuesday, and we went back down to the pitch Friday night for a few pokes, and it was an eerie setting. Now, you know, I, I don't even some people want didn't want to be there, some people f- maybe felt it was right to be down there, and at that point, I think people were still unknown whether we were going to compete in the championship as more to get together, but actually looking back on it now, although we were knocked out at the quarterfinal stage. I, I think it was so important for us to go back down to the pitch. Not even maybe to see where it, it led in, in terms of winning a trophy or that, but uh, for everybody, you know, mentally and, and as a group and as to stick together, it was so important to be there Tuesday, Friday, Sunday. And it gave everybody something to, to aim towards. And I think Dylan himself <coughs> would be saying, these lads don't, you know, by all accounts go down and, and drive it on. Yeah. And there was no real pressure on us. I know maybe uh, the days after the funeral, people were saying, oh, you had to do it for Dylan and that. I don't think Dylan wanted that pressure on us either, or the, the family definitely didn't want that pressure on us. Um, but I think the most important thing was that we were together as a group because those few weeks after were, were tough, you know, and it, it hit everybody different times. And then we had the month's mind mass in between that as well. Uh, which again, you know, was 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 a tough one to take. But I, I think looking back on it now, I think Jimmy agreed with me there, and that uh, we're delighted we did go back. Well, it, it brought you together. It made conversations happen. It kind of maybe <clears throat> not forced you. You would have been having those conversations anyway. But it certainly gave you an opportunity to have those, even just the proximity, and maybe some silences where everybody's like comfortable enough not saying stuff. They're the other things that help with yeah. coping with that. Well, there was there was a first time for everything. There was a first time back at the pitch. There was a first time talking out. There was our first game. There was a first time back in Simple Stadium. All those milestones had to happen at some stage. Yeah, you know. So, um, and, I, and I must give credit to our, our management team as well, who are all in-house, uh, in-house men that we've recruited. And I just feel like they had they over managed the whole thing brilliantly. And like Declan Ryan, who's obviously an uncle-in-law, Dylan's as well, is so close to him. And like Declan. Found it extremely tough, but still led from the front. John Devane, Jason, and, and Anthony Roach were just fantastic to, to keep the group of players together. And I suppose at times they probably had to mask their own emotions and to be that bit stronger, to drive on the training sessions, to maybe make difficult decisions. But they did it with, with a plum. They really did. I know that, like what happened on on, on August fifth, kind of struck a chord with, pe- with people for many reasons, not least because of how it happened and. and Home of hurling as well in Seppa Stadium, and I know it was referenced in the in the funeral as well by by a couple of people. The fact that 
died doing what he loved and I know that's a facetious thing to say in some ways it can be uh, quick to just surmise that and sum it up in that way but he did love the game of hurling um, and, and at least that is something to hold on to I guess for, for yourselves and his friends and his teammates yeah yeah, I think you know when I, I even thought when he went down initially, I was there. I was, Christian Eriksson was in my head. I says, you know, isn't it a pity now he, he might miss out in Tipperary next year? Or I says, you know, how, how is he going to kill the time if he's not hurling? Because that's if he's if he's not gymming, he's down at the pitch, he's doing something. I said, um, but little did I think that we'd never see the chap again. Uh, but I yeah, I thought he'd actually. I thought he was going to get back up. Honestly, I I turned around to Seamus Hennessy. He plays a killer on. And I says, um, oh, he'll be fine, he'll be up there in two minutes. I was sure, I don't know why, I was just sure he was going to get back up. And then I kind of got closer, and I seen poor Craig Morgan was holding Dylan kind of up his head, and I just kind of knew then it was it was going to be bad. Like, But then I seen a stretcher come onto the pitch. Before that, uh, Kira was in the physio and Shannon, and they're all doing very good with Dylan or whatever, but then the stretcher came in, and I seen Hazel... Uh, his mother beside the stretcher like as Dylan was going off and she was bawling crying but still I thought it was only like an overreaction from a mother or something but then I kind of went off onto the side of the pitch and I seen Declan Ryan kneeling down with say his hand on his head like this and I just knew I knew there was something bad then like you know and it, like, it's, it's the first half uh, and, and mm. the, the crazy thing is Dylan was having a Brilliant yeah. game. He just laid off a pass he actually, to Jimmy. The last ball he <laughs> touched, he laid off to me and I buried yeah, the goal. goal. And it was the first goal I've ever scored in Championship Hurling. <laughs> so it was a bit... He always did a big And time, I took yeah. a big swing. I don't know how I wasn't hooked, to be honest. Was but even that, that play, like there must have been four Killeran lads around him. I, I looked at it 20 yeah. times. I still don't know how he got the ball he in these hands. And one big regret I have is not saying, thanks for that, Dylan. I was out finger-wagging <laughs> to the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Too busy. But, um, yeah, it was just so... A surreal moment, yeah. really, wasn't it? And we all went into the tunnel then. Uh, our local priest came across. He was over in the stand. He came across. We were all just saying prayers. We all went into the dressing room then. Eventually, we were all just, it was all just quiet. And they said we were going to, heading to the local church or whatever. So we all headed out to the local church. We Paddy Ryan actually drove out Dylan's car because he went with him before the match. And I just got... Paddy, I got trapped off the graveyard and I said a few prayers at my father's grave and I literally begged him just to make, sh- please, like, give Dylan another chance or whatever. And um, we all went to the church then and there was kind of a bit of an uplift then when we went back to the clubhouse, wasn't there? And we thought, I still thought um, he was going to be okay, like, I don't know why, but thought he was going to be alright and inside in the we were inside in the dressing room anyway and I just said to my two housemates Aaron Ryan and Enda Heffernan we'll go in home there's no point sitting around here for the night and that's the minute JD walked in and he just says lads he didn't make it and the whole place just mm. like bust up really didn't it yeah that was a tough moment you know just heart sinking like but um I think it was I, I do and I think it was a huge important we were together though. You know, to hear that news by yourself at home, you know, it's tough anyway. It's devastating news anyway. Um, but I am delighted, looking back, hindsight now, looking back on it, that we were together as a group of players. Of course, lads dealt with it differently and, and some lads just didn't want to be near anyone. But 
at least there was support there for for lads. Um, but I know as a naively, we did come out with a, a sense of optimism. Maybe that was just that's that's our nature. That's the yeah. last thing you think would happen, really. Like when you, you think of an athlete, even up to the man. last moment, you think he's going to be fine. Like you know. Well, because it doesn't make any sense. A twenty-four-year-old in the absolute peak mm, yeah. of his health, like uh, that's why it's so shocking. But I listen to you, like it's going to take you a lifetime to unpick those. I don't know how long. How long was it between you guys standing in the tunnel and and finding out? Like, is it? Are we talking two hours, three hours? Not even. Yeah, well, I'd say we're not about, about an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah, and, and I'd say even at that point. I'd say maybe it took a little bit of time for news to filter back before it was actually confirmed. Yeah, yeah of course. You're getting all these messages then yeah. of everyone and phone ringing and it's just pure mayhem like for yeah. for ages after it. But as you said, like it's probably it's just the way it was meant to happen. Like he went he went doing what he loved and he went in his prime. Like it is nearly better than going when you're eight or ninety and lads forgetting what you do. Do you know he? Everyone's going to remember him forever. Like. Are you all right? Yeah, I, I still think it's strange. Like small things, like uh, this only happened the other day. I was sending a snap, and I went down, and there is Dylan, in my, Dylan in my recents, and I just kind of thought, you know, it, that such a strange thing to happen, and like I, you know, it's, you can't, you don't send it to him, but you, you see his name pop up in your recents, and then I, I just remember just clicking out of it, and I didn't send the snap at all. It was only something of food or something, but. And that was yeah, it. Even all the group chats and everything. He's in. He, I mean, he's still his, part his of. Name is there. Like he's Everett. still part of everything, really. Like. Um. So of course, and like my home house, I have to pass Dylan's home house on the way, and you still get that that sinking feeling every time you pass. You just kind of go, my God. Uh, like how do you? Yeah. How, you know, us as players, even, but how how but does even how does family cope? After coming back into the house, it was weird. Like the. A few days after. This is your house that you shared with him still? This is actually Dylan's house in Turles. Myself, Aaron and Enda Heflin were living in there with him. But um, Andrea Lucknan's after moving in now, so she's bringing a bit of life to the house now instead. Like, it's hard to bring what Dylan's bringing, but she's doing a fair good job in fairness to her. But um, it's just the f- first few days after moving in without him there was weird, like, you know. I, I hadn't even realised until the... Maybe was it one of his family members at the funeral was talking about the fact that he was he was actually born premature because of a a road accident. So accident, like a, yeah. a fighter yeah. from the yeah. very outset. Yeah, I, I think it was six weeks. Was it premature? Six weeks. Yeah. Six, weeks, six yeah. weeks. Yeah, and and Hazel is a is a tough lady. His man is a tough lady, but um, yeah, that's that's Dylan's nature. I, and like they probably were saying that you know to be six weeks premature, to be six foot four. And probably ninety-five kg 95 of at least, yeah. and able to move a good sidestep, very comfortable <coughs> off left and right. I mean, in terms of an an athlete, you just don't but you don't get as perfect. Like, I didn't even realise how like I knew how good he was, obviously, but I didn't realise that he was going. Like people came up to me and said that they reckon he could have been Tipperary captain in a few years, and I hadn't a clue. I was like, "Are you serious?" Like. I've, couldn't get over it. Like people spoke so highly of him, and it's just—it's—it's—it's those—it's those triggers that you mentioned. Like you know, when you're talking about the Snapchats and the WhatsApp groups, and yeah. you know, people talk about hearing a song or or something. And I know that even at the funeral, you know, there's concert tickets been brought up, and yeah, is it was it an apron from the deli job he had, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. But there's going to be constant 
uh, triggers. It's almost like having to, uh, it's torture, I, I'd imagine, but like having to experience it all over again at little mini points. Yeah. And nice and weird, though. Yeah, it? it is maybe in a way, and I know you have those low points as well, but um, we probably referenced to it early on that he's never going to it's never going to go away like it's it's always going to be he's always going to be part for life um, and that's and that's just it and of course we'll, we'll miss him but I think the important thing is as we said is that we remember him in the positive ways and there is only positive ways I was going to say there's a million different ways that yeah. <coughs> that, that can happen and, and those conversations and those jokes like you know <laughs> it does sound like um, the jokes have, are, are will last the test of time you know that and that relationship that you have is never going to go away like that's oh. that's always and it's always going to be a great relationship because that's yeah. the way that it finished um, in like it is the first winter as I said now where there'll be an opportunity to kind of everybody takes a breath and thinks about what you might do to <clears throat> to build something like I, you know I don't know I, I don't know what that might be like is it a an annual hurling tournament or something like that I don't know there'll be know? something done anyway definitely won't there yeah and I, yeah, I'm not even sure I know we have a new AstroTurf pitch gone in there in the last maybe year and a half for that as well um, I, I'm not sure if the club is thinking about something like that, but as I said, I, I'd be very surprised if, if if our top table, who who are who are brilliant and have led from the front, including Andrew Friday, aren't thinking about something, um, because definitely Dylan would deserve something like that. Yeah, hundred percent. I think people talk about the you mentioned the, the club championship having to go on, and, and I know ultimately he's went out to Kelly but the the Thurless Sarsfields game. And I think that Joe Hayes, who I mentioned, I think he spoke afterwards and said, look, it was a really emotional occasion. He, he said it was one of the best games he'd ever seen. Um, like We talk on, on the show constantly about stories from the club game that, that stand out to us. And uh, you know, people are like, Geez, that, that's a really interesting strand from the club game that ne- nearly needs more attention. But it strikes me that that, that performance that, from you lads against Thurlis that day, uh, one of the most powerful things you'll, you'll ever witness. Because, first of all, beating Thurlis on any given day wouldn't be easy, but... To do it under those circumstances must have been uh, unimaginably tough. Yeah, I suppose which which made it that much more spe- special was it was the it was the day after Dylan's month's mine, right? So that was the the Saturday night, and I actually kind of felt I was I was probably more apprehensive going into the game, and I'd say so were the management because there you never knew what was going to happen to that group of players because everybody again it was you know the month's mine was in in the pitch in Canolty Rossmore, um, and it's just it's hard to know how people are going to come back from that can you get to a level of that championship pace that ferocity that you need to compete particularly with with Thurlis Sarsfields and I think we just came out of the blocks and just gave a huge performance and it's pro- it probably will be a standout from this year you know um, it's a pity we couldn't go on and, and, and go all the way but st- certainly when we look back at it uh, I think it gave I just remember the outpour it did remind me a bit of the 2018 county final when there was just people rushing in yeah um, and did that you talk like, what was the talk in the dressing room before were you able to address it or not address it or what was the right thing to do Declan kind of addressed it didn't he we did we just kind of felt like you know it, that we didn't want to put extra pressure on ourselves that we had to do it for Dylan well because you know that's not fair it's, and, it's and, not and it's not fair on sense, well, Declan he kind of said just do what he'd expect us to do, yeah. kind of, you know, that kind of a... Yeah, and leave everything so, And we all know exactly what he expected us to do. Like, it was, his f- was it his first year being captain? It was, this it was year. yeah. So, like, we we give it a... Give us... Uh, sorry. We give it a... Like, a new yeah. talk there. I can't talk. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. yeah. That's, sense, that's yeah. it, yeah. Just give everything you have on the pitch and, and leave it out there. Um, and, yeah, and I know even our first game back, I, I remember Declan went to speak and, and he actually got caught up in the motion of it. 
Um, but I don't think even we didn't need we probably didn't need words before the McCarthy game, which was our first game back, which we got a which we got a win, which was huge again. But yeah, just going back to the Torres Arches game, like there was grown men in crying on the pitch again, and I, I, that was probably the first game I think that that Dan Dylan's dad went to I think after, and like Dan was in there and more I'd say all the players as well were. Just an emotional release, just to say, I'm not. I'm not sure what it was, but it, it just was that. It just a feeling of, you know, brought a smile to her face as well as just thinking that he was looking after us up there. That kind of struck me, Jimmy, what you were saying there about, you know, only realizing how how good a hurler he was, listening to what other people were saying, and like Brendan O'Duffy said this as well that nearly at the wake he realized. So many new things and stories about his about his son. It was, was it similar for yourselves? And I know for for his parents, Dan and Hazel, and um, is it Kelly and Shannon, his two Kelly sisters. Shannon, yeah. Like I'm sure, so many stories yeah, came out. Yeah. It's a sad occasion. Like Hazel, but I think Hazel absolutely loves the stories she's hearing about him now that she never heard before. Do you know that kind of a the ones you're not allowed to tell your man. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that he he'd absolutely kill you. Like if he found out you were telling his mother, but she knows most of them now. I know, but there's still plenty to tell. Um, there's loads of stories to tell about him so there is. that was what, what um, Brendan O'Duffy said he, he actually didn't know Ogie until after he passed away because those stories started to come through <clears throat> and the impact that he'd had on loads of other lives because you, know, you, you live with people and you see that one part of their life as opposed to actually you know, the thousands of people that you bump into and that you meet across your life and I guess that's the other way that you keep his memory alive is hearing new stories and discovering new things yeah and, and was the boys lived with him I, I, I never got to live with him I've been lucky enough to I think my first interaction with Dylan was I was in college and I used to come back on a Friday and coach the local primary schools and of course Dylan was 5th or 6th class and I just kind of thought this lad is an animal like he I was giving him these complicated drills and he was kind of looking up to me and saying is, there, is that, is that, that all you have, have? like yeah. you know <laughs> so from a very early age he was he just was he was a huge mammy's boy like yeah. really <laughs> And as big as he was and ferocious on the pitch, deep down he's just a real softy, like, you know. Like, just a story there, we were out skiing in Val Terenz and um, we were back at the house, whatever, but he decided to take a shortcut with a few people. But they got stuck in the snow, say, on the way home. They, they dropped into about 10 or 12 foot of snow. So they started kind of drowning in the snow or whatever, and Aaron came back to the house. Aaron and Claude got back to the house. And Aaron was freezing, like he was absolutely shivering, feeling very sorry for himself now, frostbiting the whole lot. And Dylan, um, they were saying Dylan is still stuck out there. Which he was stuck with someone else, I don't know who it was, but eventually he came back to the house, he was missing a shoe and he was absolutely freezing as well. And I says, why didn't you ring one of us when you came out with her? And he goes, I did, I rang me, I, r- I rang me mammy, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and he out in Valterend and she's back in snow. <laughs> What's he going to do? Yeah. yeah. He just wanted to let her know he was okay, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Even she would have done some panicking if she picked up the phone that night. <laughs> <laughs> I say, where's your shoe? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ah, you've been great with your time. Thanks so much, because I know it's not an easy conversation to have, and yet it's, I think it's necessary, again, like that whole thing about like just talking about people and keeping their memories alive I, I hope it wasn't too difficult for you but um, you've done a great job of, of sharing your memories <clears throat> of Dylan with I think hopefully everybody watching and listening this morning so my thanks to Jimmy Marin to John O'Keefe for joining us this morning that's all we've got time for Nathan's live this evening we'll see you tomorrow best of luck OTB AM with Gillette 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 